Kinnick Under the Kitchen authentic original player art prints are being drawn up for Hawkeye fans everywhere. From Under the Kitchen's Murray Legacy print, which features former Hawkeye Kenyon Murray, current Hawkeye Chris Murray, and current Sacramento King Keegan Murray, to football players Lucas Van Ness, Tori Taylor, and Cooper DeGene, to wrestlers Tony Cassiope, Alex Marinelli, and Real Woods. Oh, and only one of the greatest athletes to ever compete at Iowa, Spencer Lee. There are so many options available and they make great gifts. Visit Under the Kitchen on Facebook or at Under the Kitchen's new website. It's underthekitchen.square.site. That's underthekitchen.square.site. Check out Under the Kitchen today and get your authentic, original Hawkeye print. We'd like to welcome everybody to a special edition of Hawkeye Hangout here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. And I'm with a very scruffy Don Patterson on this Sunday afternoon. Coach Patterson, good to see your face uh, as we get closer and closer to turning the corner to August. At least as best as you can see my face, huh? <laughs> Let me give a short explanation, Corey. I, I went in for a dermatology appointment, had a procedure on my face for a non-cancerous uh, I should say um, non-melanoma cancer and um, some stitches that went with that. And of course they told me I had to be really careful about where I shaved. And I was careful for a couple of days and I thought this is kind of stupid. I'm just not going to shave. So I got a little over a week's growth now and I'll probably shave it all off on Thursday after I have my follow-up appointment. Well, we're glad to see you're okay, Don. And uh, you grow the beard out as much as, you want, you deserve it. And um, I know you've been working hard to, to prepare for not only this show, but for the season and, and providing Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa football staff with helpful analytics, which you've been doing for years. So before we get to Iowa, we've got so much to cover. We've got one to two hours, uh, depending on the interaction we have here. And, and if we run out of topics early, uh, we've also got a special treat. We're giving away tickets to the Black Keys at the Iowa State Fair Grandstand coming up on August 14th. And I think what we're going to do here, and this is kind of what I was mulling over this afternoon. My goal here, Don, is to uh, give these away once we hit 100 live viewers. So right now we're at about 44 on. So if you want a chance to win tickets to see the Black Keys with the Velveteers opening up for them, certainly share this stream out. Click the like button. That helps us in the algorithm as well. We can get 100 Hawkeye fans on here. We'll give away two different pairs to see the Black Keys, two different pairs to see the Black Keys at the Iowa State Fair Grandstand. So before we get to that, Don, we're a little over a month away from Iowa football. Big Ten Media Days is officially in the books. Fall camp is just days away. What does it feel like to be back uh, approaching yet another Iowa football season? It feels good. Uh, you know, there's, that's always my favorite time of the year is the fall. It's my, my busiest time of the year, of course. But I wouldn't want it any other way. There's nothing better than college football on a Saturday afternoon. So we had uh, several several storylines of the past week, one of which being uh, the gambling situation, which is kind of an ongoing thing. We still don't have an official list regarding the Iowa football players that were reportedly involved with gambling that are under investigation. We do know that Noah Shannon admitted not to gambling, but he admitted to being under investigation. and. I think it's likely to say, Don, that he'll probably he's probably uh, I, don't, I don't think being under investigation in a case like this. I don't think it's hard to uh, surmise the idea that he probably bet, probably gambled. We'll find that out officially, I'm sure, at some point. 
could endanger him as far as playing time. There are other student athletes reportedly involved on the football team. How many players will miss time? Will any miss time? That is all yet to be seen. If you were a coach right now, as we approach fall camp, would you be getting somewhat antsy to get the answers to those que- those unanswered gambling-related questions? Absolutely, and I don't really fully understand why it would take so long to find out what the particulars are about each of our individuals. Uh, and the way I understand the punishment, it's likely that the guys, don't, whoever they are, I think there are four of them, is that right? It's likely that they'll miss a game or two, maybe, depending on the level of their their betting. Um, so with a little bit of luck, none of them will miss anything resembling a conference game. What it will probably affect, and we'll, again, we're just speculating on this, but if uh, players miss two games, um, that Iowa State game is going to be fascinating, maybe not for the right reasons, because Iowa State will also likely have some players that are out for that game. If Iowa's missing a couple players, Iowa State will as well. Now, defensive line, I think we could both agree, Don, we're going to run through the positions, run through the depth chart, but defensive line is a position I think they can absorb some attrition or, you know, uh, absence of a guy like Noah Shannon, even though he is a veteran. Um, So we'll talk about that. But I would just have to think as we count down the days here, Kirk and his staff had to have expected this to be wrapped up by now. And the fact that it's not has to make them still a bit uneasy. Yes. And near as I can tell, um, our guys were identified through some kind of state of Iowa agency. Isn't that true? Yeah, I think nationwide uh, players haven't been called out yet, as I recall, from other states. Uh, maybe some states, but certainly not all states. So, Don, let, let's let's talk a little bit about football. We we can spend time talking about availability, and of course, there's we've got a full month of fall camp. We know availability is always a question mark because there's injuries, and that's just the nature of football. But a couple quick notes from Big Ten Media Days, and you and I chatted about this prior to going live. Not really anything involving Iowa. I mean, Kirk Ferentz seemed upbeat. I know he made some comments about the offensive line that that tickled the ears of Iowa fans and the Iowa media. But a couple of my big tick- takeaways from this past week are, A, the loss of Nebraska's tight ends coach. As far as a staff change, this is an odd time to lose your tight ends coach. And, B, the addition to the Illini staff of former Wisconsin D.C. Jim Leonard. Um Maybe just talk a little bit about both of those those um, situations and how does that affect the race for the West? Well, to begin with, you know, I have such respect for Jim Leonard. It's kind of hard for me to imagine, unless he chose to be an analyst, hard for me to imagine that someone wouldn't have an interest in hiring him as a D.C. Uh, someone in FBS football, I'm saying, in a Power 5 conference even. That's how much respect I have for him, and I think a lot of people – in football circles feel like I do. Uh, Now, maybe he simply wanted to rejoin Brett. You know, they have a history together back at Wisconsin. I don't know exactly where Jim was when Brett was coaching there. Maybe he was – maybe Brett was his coach maybe for part of his college playing career. I suspect so. Maybe all of it. I don't know. But uh, they obviously have a good relationship, and I would consider him to be a huge resource for an inexperienced defensive coordinator and the guy that's assumed that role as I understand it is young and inexperienced at least on a DC level so that's a huge assist I think to Illinois for their defense is that kind of an odd dynamic Don having a I know he's young but Jim Leonard who's kind of a veteran DC in this conference and who was a 
possible head coach heading into this past season. If you're the D- DC at Illinois, there has to be there had to have been some careful thought that went into that from Brett Bielema's stance. Yeah, I don't know how the dynamics will play out. I don't even know anything about the the new DC. Of course, a lot of people would argue that he's now got two bosses. He's got his head coach, who's got a background in defense, and he's got Jim Leonard. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. As you know, Illinois has played outstanding defense, even in Brett's early early games at Illinois. Yeah, I'll be I'll be fascinated. I think that's a, a huge. If you're an Illinois Illini fan, excuse me, uh, huge attaboy to Brett Bielema because to be able to, however he got him to agree to come in as an as an analyst, I would think. And this is what Mark Rogers said the other day to me as well, Don. One would think that Jim Leonard would have been a, a candidate not only for analyst jobs across the country, but for high major D.C. jobs, if not Power 5 head coaching jobs, right? Correct. Absolutely. I don't know if the original plan for Jim Leonard was to sit on the sidelines this year, take a year off, but the fact that and maybe that's what he did and he realized, hey, we're getting close to the season. I'm not getting the offers that I want. Let me just jump onto a staff to stick around. Maybe that's what happened, but uh, either way, um, credit to Brett Bielema for getting him to come on. Here's what else we don't know. It's entirely possible that one reason he's taken this route is that Wisconsin owes him money for the next year. Uh, and yeah. obviously, depending on what kind of money he makes wherever he goes, uh, my point is he's going to be able to pay his bills regardless of what Illinois pays him, uh, I suspect. I don't know that, but I suspect he's got that kind of contract remaining with Wisconsin. But if that's the case, Don, then he could have taken the year off. And he'd be making True. the exact same because if he, he'd be in the situation that John Budmeyer was reportedly in over a year ago with Iowa, where he's making money from Colorado State, could not make money here. So he's jumped. But see, the difference between Budmeyer and Jim Leonard, with all due respect to John Budmeyer, Jim Leonard had the name and the reputation where I think he could probably have afforded to just have taken a year off. And when the next cycle started next year, I'm guessing he would have still right been right back there on the candidate list. So I just it's interesting if if he's basically going to work for free, which he kind of would be if he's getting paid from Wisconsin just to stick around the game. Again, I just find that intriguing. And that was one of my I know Mark and I talked a little bit about our takeaways from Big Ten Media Days and how we're feeling about the race. And I haven't come out with my official predictions for the Big Ten West yet, Don. But when you look at the top of the conference, well, if nothing else, it's a compliment to, to Brett Bailamon. It's clear that Jim Leonard thinks the world of Brett Bailamon. And Don, when you look at the top of the conference with Wisconsin and Iowa, I think those are the two schools that most people perceive to be uh, 1A and 1B in this conference, at least projecting forward. I feel if I'm an Illinois fan, not just because of Leonard, but just based on some other prognosticators, I noticed the Big Ten Network seemed rather high on Illinois after media days. That doesn't always mean anything. I thought Brett carried a a quiet confidence about him. Now, he kind of always acts that way. He's kind of just a uh, laid-back guy. I think you'd probably attest to that, Don. But I I just – I think Illinois is dangerous. And I'm not saying they're going to win the West, but they've got a – they've got a chance at being good. It, the question is, can they figure it out at quarterback? They had Tommy DeVito come in last year from Syracuse. They've got Luke Altmeyer coming in from Ole Miss this year, who's a dual threat guy, but he's never 
play, I mean, he's never played here. This is his first year. So question marks there, but you just, you wonder if Brett can do it again at that position and he's got the, the guy there, they can be right back there like they were last year. Yeah. You know, part of my evaluation process deals, there is a section of that report that deals with what I refer to as positive and negative exceptions. You're familiar with that term, Corey, the listeners, maybe not, but the bottom line, if you win a particular parameter, that's supposed to all but guarantee a win. If you lose that game, then you would be classified as a negative exception. In other words, the game didn't play out like it was supposed to, and you were the one on the losing end of it. Uh, and, and as another aside, of course, there's a there's a positive exception too. The positive exception is simply a team that seems to have a habit of finding a way to win. And the negative exception, obviously, is a team that seems to find a way to lose. Illinois last year, despite doing a lot of good things, uh, was pretty high on that negative exception end. They lost a couple of games. It was kind of difficult to understand how they lost them, frankly. A little bit unlucky. That's part of the part of the solution for winning, of course, is to have an element of luck on your side. And um, the bottom line, if if Brett can get that straightened out in year two, then I think you're right. They could they could certainly be capable of beating anyone, in in part because they tend to play outstanding defense and not give up a lot of points. And, Don, which team in the Big Ten West challenged the Big Ten champion, Michigan Wolverines, the most? You're right. It was Illinois. As I recall, I'm pretty sure that Michigan actually came from behind in the fourth quarter to beat them. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And that was that was shortly after uh, – was it Brett Mielema? Did he lose his, his mother the week prior? Am I correct in saying that? I think you might be right. Yeah. It was 1917, as I recall. Yeah. Incredible effort by Illinois. They're, they're dangerous. And they've got, you know, we have to talk about Iowa's schedule. Wisconsin's got a favorable schedule. You know who else has a favorable schedule? And that's Illinois. Listen to their crossover games, Don. Okay. Home against Indiana at Maryland, challenging game. Uh, and then their, their third one is home against Penn State. So Maryland's a difficult game, but they get Penn State at home, and Indiana might be the worst team in the conference. Right. I, I, that's a that's a favorable schedule. They get Wisconsin at home. They do have to come to Kinnick, uh, and they have to go to Minnesota. But uh, I don't know. It'll be it'll be an interesting race. I'm a little bit higher on Purdue as well. I thought uh, Ryan Walters was impressive in his media availability. I do wonder. Um, what that offense will look like because we've just seen what the Purdue offense has been like for seems like forever with uh, coach Brom. He's moved on to, to Louisville. They bring in Hudson card who looked the part at Texas and they brought in some transfers at receiver and some pieces. But I mean, that's just going to be a totally different looking team. Very similar to Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, addressing Illinois again too, Corey, I just flashed back on a couple of, of um, stats that will impress you. As you know, turnover margin is always a good stat to have on your side. Number one team in the Big Ten for turnover margin was Illinois last year. Here's another one that might surprise you. Red zone scoring defense. As you know, Iowa has always been near the top in allowing very few points, even if teams do make it to the red zone. The number one team last fall in red zone scoring defense, again, was Illinois. So that's just a couple of stats that, are, of course, are nice to have on your side. And um, they lost some games maybe that they really can't understand how they lost. But if they can get that corrected, then they're dangerous against anyone. And your thoughts on Purdue, Don? I think Purdue's – I think of all the 
coaching changes, I think that's the one that's the one that's going to have the hardest time to work out in a really positive way for the new coach. And I'm not being critical at all of the, of the new coach. I'm simply making the observation, of course, that they lost a quarterback uh, that had been a proven performer for them and incidentally could have stayed around for another year, as I recall. They lost a tight end that could have stayed around for another year too. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, they lost a guy named Charlie Jones, who um, turned out to be pretty good for him last fall too. So significant losses on offense and another significant loss is a play caller by the name of Jeff Brom. So uh, that's why I suspect that Purdue is going to take a tumble. And it sounded like some of the experts that voted on the preseason uh, rankings felt that same way. I believe Purdue was maybe ranked fifth or sixth overall. Is that right? Yeah, they're they're they the pick, Yeah, they were picked low. Nobody would have the guts to pick them lower than Port Northwestern right now. That's another discussion that we might have before the two hours is up. But um, but I think Illinois has their work cut out for them in part because of graduation losses. But also, they lost a really fine head coach. All right, Don, let's shift our attention to Iowa. And we got depth charts last week. We don't need to. I mean, I've spent so much time looking at the depth chart piece by piece, talking about it on this very show. But let's just talk about each side of the football and kind of just general reactions from the depth chart. I'm sure you're not reading too far into what we saw on black and white uh, here a few days ago. And, and this is typical for a preseason depth chart. Kirk Ferentz always downplays that release. But um, I guess a couple takeaways for me, and then I'll throw it to you, Don. A little bit intrigued by the fact that, or not intrigued, but surprised maybe that Deacon Hill was listed behind Joe Labus at quarterback after the spring we saw. But I also acknowledge the fact that if either one of those guys was at risk for transferring anytime soon, it'd probably be Joe Labus because Hill just got here. So I'm not saying Kirk Ferentz is being disingenuous by listing Labus second. But if he throws Labus in third place after Hill just got here, I would not be shocked to see Labus leave. That quarterback, backup quarterback uh, battle will play out throughout fall camp. Um, I think they're really solid at running back. We've talked about that. They're really solid at tight end. There's a lot of people who have played along that offensive line, Don. A lot of people. The excuses right. to me are out the door about youth anymore. Most of these guys are going into at least year three. You've got an experienced grad transfer in Rusty Feth. And Dejon Parker, who looks the part physically, has not played D1 ball, but looks the part physically and was wanted by other Power 5 schools, decommitted from Virginia to come to, to uh, Iowa City. And then you look at uh, fullback. They've got a six foot five former tight end in Hayden Large, who is uh, talking about looking the part. I don't know that I've ever seen a fullback that looked that big and tall. That's intriguing to me. Obviously, the big question with this offense is um, – wide receiver play and offensive line play wide receiver play. They bring in transfers, Caleb Brown, Seth Anderson. Uh, they bring in three true freshman scholarship players and Jared Bowie, Dayton Howard and um, Alex Moda. Uh, none of those guys, those newcomers, any of the three freshmen, neither of the two transfers, none of them are on the depth chart. You've got two walk-ons on the depth chart, plus a redshirt sophomore, Jacob Bostic, who really didn't play at all last year. What are your biggest takeaways from looking at that offensive depth chart? Well, one thing, one question I have, uh, and as you mentioned, uh, is it Labus or is it Hill? I know one thing, we better figure out who the backup is because the backup has to be ready to go. Uh, let me give you a, a, a dilemma that we might face even on September 2nd. Is it hard to imagine 
that we might be off to a good start against Utah State, that the score might be, oh, I don't know, let's just say 28 to 7, 28 to 7 at the end of three quarters. And logically, at that point in that game, with our defense playing the way they play, that's a very safe lead. And there would be a logical temptation to pull the starting quarterback and get one of those backups some experience. But the question is, how does the contract factor in? How does the fact that maybe it'd be a good idea to get more than 28 points? So I so just want to establish this. You're the one who brought up the contract. We hadn't even gotten to that yet. You're the one who brought up the contract, Don. So. It must be this facial hair that's causing me to act so strange. I don't know. Uh, but I'm just, Fair point. I'm just being um, – that's a, a little element of comedy maybe to the show. Seriously, it could be an issue. What do you do at that point? You'd like to bring up some more points, but let's face it, the backup needs playing time, whoever he is. Neither one of them's played much at all. And then on top of that, of course, if you leave a starter in, clearly he's already played three-fourths of a game. Uh, he's more susceptible to injury as he gets a little bit tired maybe than the, than the reserve might be who hadn't played all day, especially on a warm September day. It's entirely possible we'll have that. So I'm hoping that we'll get off to a good start and put up some points and that our coaches will be comfortable uh, giving at least one of those two backups some playing time. Hopefully we're in a position to do that in game one. All right, folks, here's the deal. Our phone line is open, 515-635-1601, 515-635-1601. You can also join by means of StreamYard. You don't have to have your camera on if you don't want to, but uh, those are two different ways to call in. And uh, once we get to 100 live viewers, we will ask our trivia question, which Don Patterson has prepared uh, well for us. It's Hawkeye-related, and I think it's a great question. We're going to use the honor system, folks. Uh, no Googling, no binging, no asking Alexa. Uh, please play by the rules. Of course, we can't enforce that because we are not in your homes. But, uh, again, try to please use ethical behavior and the play by the rules. So we'll have that trivia question. Once we hit hundred viewers, we are about 91 people on right now. And again, the link to join the show is in the description. I threw it up in the live chat as well. All right, uh, Don, uh, let's move to the defense before we uh, start taking calls. Uh, I think this defense has an opportunity to be as good as last year. And I know that's saying a lot because this is one of the best units Phil Parker has had. Um, you look at guys like Jack Campbell, Seth Benson, uh, Kayvon Merriweather was a, a veteran in the, in the back end, and they lose all those guys. Plus, they lose a veteran, Riley Moss. They lose a first-round draft pick in Lucas Van Ness. Am I, am I delirious to think that this team, this defense, could be as good as it was last year? I think there's certainly a chance of that. I think one key to whether or not we can get that done is simply this. Nick Jackson needs to be as productive for Iowa – as he was last fall for Virginia. If Nick Jackson can do that, that simply means he's clearly made his way into the starting lineup. If he can perform like a starter and be, in a, be a productive player as he was last fall for Virginia, then I do think that we'll be in solid enough shape with Higgins as a likely other linebacker. Um, you know, we need to get outstanding productivity out of those two inside backers. We've had it in the past. It's been something we've had pretty routinely through the years. Uh, Seth has done a good job in terms of coaching, and we need him to do that again. I'm sure he will. And um, those linebackers this fall need to be 
hopefully almost as productive as the ones we had last fall. And special teams, Don, I, I, I mean, what can you say about LeVar Woods other than he seems to uh, figure it out each and every year? And again, I, I think this is one of the strongest kicking units that he's had, and he's had some really good ones. You think about place kickers, Caleb Shudak, Keith Duncan, Miguel Racinos. Uh, you go down the list, and now you've got one in Drew Stevens that you know, he's going into his true sophomore year, but boy, he was sensational last year. Torrey Taylor's back for an extra season as well. They don't have any changes at long snapper or holder. Um, talk about special teams, how important it is at this uh, university. Let me talk about it, too, in terms of average starting field position. One of the parameters that made the biggest jump from two years ago compared to last year was average starting field position. And to go one step further, it's really interesting to, to hear this and, this and to realize it was true. As I started charting all it out, Corey, I couldn't – the winning percentage of his starting field position in the first season was not nearly the same as it was when it got cooler in November. Every starting field position became even more important as the season went on. Or to be specific, the first 30 games of the year, conference games I'm saying – our winning percentage was 73% if you won on every starting field position. Any kind of edge. Might have been a yard or two. Might have been five or ten. But any kind of edge on every starting field position, you won the game 73% of the time. The last 34 games of the regular season, that percentage jumped all the way up to 91%. So in November, it was almost a guarantee to win the game if you had an edge on every starting field position. I just thought it was interesting how much it changed from October to November. And, of course, some some conference games in there in September also. Don, uh, this is and, – and I know this has been uh, – we've discussed it, but we, this has been a, a difficult month for Iowa fans, and I didn't want to just keep going with football before we addressed it. The, the passing of Cody Entz, um, we were talking about the offensive line. That kind of jolted my memory to, to that. Uh, I lost just, you there for a minute, Corey. Can, can you hear me, Don? Yeah, I lost you for maybe 10 seconds. Just wanted to address real quickly before we moved on the uh, the passing of, of Cody Entz. I know that that's been on the minds of Hawkeye fans here of late. Can you just speak to how tragic that is and uh, maybe your experience? I'm, I'm sure, unfortunately, you probably lost a player. Or certainly, you've lost former players. How difficult is that as a coaching staff? Amazing enough, in 37 years of coaching, Corey, never lost one while he was playing, never even lost one shortly after he was finished playing. So I've been really lucky in that regard. Uh, just a lot of averaging would suggest you probably lose one somewhere along the way. Uh, but these young men are so committed, and I know Cody was too, so committed to what they're doing. When they leave us, uh, they really do feel like they're part of your family. So I know the ties between between Cody and, and our, our football coaches and players are strong and always will be. And um, it's just... It's just tragic when any young person loses their life. And I just hate to see it happen. And on top of all that, of course, I understand he was engaged to be married. I don't know what kind of wedding date was set, but it's just a terrible bit of bad. It's, it's hard to understand why these things happen, but who are, we to, who are we to say? I know the one thing I was always able to tell players who lost loved ones, especially if it was unexpected, the only thing I could think to tell them is that remind them it was God's way of reminding us that every day is a gift and you need to make them all count. And 
And that should be a good goal for all of us. And we're only human. We're not going to always make them count. But I always used to like to say to the players, if you have a few days that are not very productive in a row, you need to have an intervention. You need to change that because that's not the way to live your life. Uh, why would you cheat yourself or your loved ones out of anything but your best effort? And um, I'm just really saddened to know about the loss of a young man that certainly didn't deserve to die at such a young age. And to address this comment from Ari Gold, does anyone know how Cody Ince died yet? Uh, no, and why does it matter? Um, I don't I, have any idea. I think that question's a little bit inappropriate, frankly. Um, Roger, uh, great show, Corey. Welcome back, Don. Don is the man. I agree with that. Um, and uh, Kevin, with a, a very valid question here, Don, what happens if Cade get injury, gets injured? What do you do? Uh, I think the all caps must indicate some level of perhaps uh, panic in that, uh, kind of foreseeing what could happen. What did you see from Deacon Hill this spring to make you think, Don, that he could come in and, and fill that void? Or did you see anything from either guy? Well, I only saw one spring practice, and that was the last one, the open scrimmage, if you will. And um, the thing I noticed watching Deacon for the first time, big, strong guy with a good, strong arm. Of course, I've seen a lot of those through the years. Uh, my biggest concern watching him just that one day, and it's really hard to evaluate, based on the fact that we're not going to let him run around and, and be hit. Uh, I was a little concerned about his escapability. I don't know how well he runs. I, don't, I suspect he's, um, to be optimistic, average escapability. I don't know that it would be any higher than that. I'm afraid it might be lower than that. Uh, but a good strong arm, that's a plus. Um, but the question, of course, is let's say it this way. A productive quarterback right now in the Big Ten or in FBS football is a guy that has the capability to extend plays. And that was part of Spencer's issue. He wasn't very he wasn't very athletic in terms of avoiding a pass rush. And I, I suspect that it might be a little bit the same case with Deacon. Now, I don't doubt for a second he's working hard this summer to in, in improve that speed and quickness. But anyway, you slice it. He's not, a, he's not an agile, small guy that can run around and make people miss. Uh, he's not that type of quarterback, and we shouldn't expect him to be. But having said that, I would, I'm sure that he's working as best he can to, to develop more escapability maybe than what he had last fall or what he had in the spring. Uh, hopefully he's going to show up a little bit lighter uh, for camp. I don't doubt that for a second. And, um, and hopefully that, that lighter weight will carry forward throughout the fall because I suspect he'll at least be able to extend plays a little bit better if he's a few pounds lighter than what I saw him in the, in the spring. Um, and then there's Joey. Uh, I'll just discuss Joey based on the Kentucky game. I thought that we were smart with what we did in the Kentucky game, especially the way we played it played it out. Uh, and we simply it was simply this case. Defense gave us a couple of scores, and for sure, if not sooner than then, somewhere along the way, maybe even before the game, uh, the coaches made the decision we're not going to give Joey very much rope because we do not want him to hang himself. We're going to ask him to do very few things and do those things he does really well. Uh, the first thing we have to do is not beat ourselves, and we're not going to give uh, Joey a chance to beat a, to beat Iowa. We didn't give him much to do, and he, he certainly handled it well enough. And, of course, our defense played lights out, and it was a routine win. So going forward, the only concern I have, if we have to ask Joey to play bold football uh, in – in Cade's absence, and we certainly don't. Have, we hope that doesn't happen, of course. But if we have to ask him 
to run our entire offense, is he going to be prepared to do that? I don't know. My fear is that uh, neither one of them is nearly prepared to run the entire offense as Kate is. And, of course, that's the priority for them in the month of August. You better improve a lot as a football player from one day to the next because your team's counting on you to be ready to replace Cade if and when it happens. Real quick, before we move, we got James waiting online uh, to uh, jump on here. Let me let me address this comment one more time. Why is it inappropriate to ask? Uh, because it's not your business. So the family, if the family wants to say what happened with Cody Ince, they can say that. But uh, I can tell you, if a family member of mine passed away, it's not going to be everybody's business how he died. And uh, it's, again, I just... Uh, there's nothing more personal that we could possibly draw up. So uh, I'm not going to address it any further, but uh, again, uh, if, if people want us to, if the family wants the public to know how their son or their brother or whatever the case may be passed away at the, the far too young age of 23, they will say so. Uh, other than that, I would ask that you respect the privacy of the family. All right, let's get to our first caller who uh, is on the line. James, welcome to the show. Hi Chris, how's it going? Good. How are you? How are you? Not too bad. Don, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. You're looking. You're looking great, man. Don't know about that. I look like I might be um, in the doghouse with my wife. Maybe she locked me out of the house. Ah, that's not good. So, what? What? How do you think our depth at running back looks this year? It looks good. I think we have three guys that can perform. Um, you've always heard me say uh, you better have at least a very, very strong 2D. Uh, and ideally, you got three guys you can believe in because the beauty of that, of course, is you never, ever have to play with a tired running back. Hopefully, we're in that position. I suspect we will be to start the season at least. We'll have confidence in maybe our second and our third back. And if it's a really hot, humid day on September 2nd, I'm sure you'll see all three of them out there as the game plays, plays itself out. And well, one more thing. What 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 about offensive line? I know last year offensive line looked like it was kind of hit and miss last year. Do you think that we're set to improve on last from last year to this year? Well, our two transfers, I'd, I'd say as a bare minimum, those guys have to be at the very least really, really strong backup players. Uh, I'd like to think they'll crack the starting lineup. I don't know if that'll happen, but that's certainly a realistic goal. That's why they came here, is to get that done. I do know that. So they're going to be given every opportunity to become starters, and with a little bit of luck, they'll deserve to both be starting for us. Even if they're only strong backups, even if they share time with somebody else that was already here, that's still okay because that means we'll have more quality depth than we had a year ago or even two years ago. Uh, and that's important, especially in – in a, a warm month like September. And let's face it, we play Penn State in game four. We play Iowa State in game two. Uh, those are both important games, of course, not that the other two aren't or not. Uh, but let's face it, we have to be, we have to be um, barely, bare minimum, we have to have eight players that can play winning football in our O-line. You've always heard me say, bare minimum, you need to have a quality backup center that can replace the starter. You need to have it as a minimum three yards, one of which has to be able to play both left and right. And also, of course, you have to have three tackles, one of which can play left and right. Uh, that's the bare minimum. you got to have eight guys that can play winning football. 
I think that's a very realistic goal for our offensive line. With a little bit of luck, we might even hit the number nine or ten. I think ten's probably unrealistic. I know even when Kirk was our offensive line coach, he used to comment sometimes uh, his goal was always to have eight guys that could play championship football. And our thought was that very few teams in college football ever had as many as ten. If you had eight, you could survive. As long as one could, of course, play both left and right at both guard and tackle. All right. And that one, one thing I think that at least it seems to me is going unnoticed is like, it seems like this year we're decently deep at the tight end position. What do you think about that? I'm sorry. Say that again. I got distracted for a second. The tight end position this year, it seems like we're pretty deep at tight end where last past couple of years, it didn't seem like we were quite as deep. Well, it's rare. That well, I, think we're, I think we were pretty darn deep last year. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're going to be deep again. I think, um, you know, Sam was one of my favorite players, of course. And I do understand he's really putting on a show with Detroit. The lines look very, very smart to have taken Sam Laporta. And I'm not surprised in the least that he's off to a great start. That's what I would expect out of Sam. Uh, but I do think that Eric is going to come in and give us quality play. Uh, he's certainly going to challenge Luke. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they end up pretty much sharing time. And that's okay because that means, again, we can always have a really fresh tight end out there too. And, of course, there will be times when they're both out there at the same time. And then Corey knows more about the backups than I do. The third teamer looks pretty promising too. Uh, so I'm excited about him for how he's played last spring. I don't uh, so, we know who the we, we don't know who the third teamer is. That's what's intriguing about this. Is it Steven Stilianos or is it Addison Estringa? I think both those guys have potential to contribute. Steven Stilianos' clock is ticking a little bit faster because this is his last year after but transfer. You're right. They're, they're compelling backups because it's entirely possible that when they get their opportunity, they'll perform really well. Wouldn't surprise me at all if they did that. Do you think that it's possible this year we might have a TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant type situation this year? Yes. Now I don't know that I don't know that they're gonna be quite as athletic as those two. Those two guys, of course, have, have been pretty special even in the NFL. But I do think they both know how to play winning football and they can they can make plays for us all day long, those two tight ends. They can be effective as blockers and they can catch pretty much everything they, they, get, they get their hands on. You know, they, they've proven that. Uh, so that's a good combination. Go ahead, Corey. I know you're anxious to contribute. I was just going to say, uh, maybe I'm just buying into the hype train, but Eric All uh, is one of the more athletic tight ends that I've seen. And I, I, you know, we haven't seen him yet after the back injury, but I'm just saying, you know, I don't know. Athleticism collectively, maybe the Hawkinson fan, tandem was more athletic than the all Lachey tandem will be. I don't know where you would rate Lachey's athleticism. I did see pro football focus and you and I always kind of take jabs at pro football focus, but I did see that one of their, excuse me, one of their analysts had Luke Lachey as their third best tight end in the 24 draft class. And I just about fell out of my seat because he hasn't even started yet. Right. And I have no doubt he's got an opportunity to be an NFL tight end, but that just shocked me. And you know, that's based on, based on his body of work up until now, that would be a little bit of a reach to put him that high. Uh, you know, he's, he simply played a little bit in Sam's shadow last year, and that's not 
that's not an indictment of, of Luke at all. You know, because Sam was a great player. Yeah. So, uh, righty. Go ahead, James. I didn't say, Corey, I'm, I'm going to get off here and go check on my pork butt I got on the smoker and let you guys and just listen to the show. All right, sir. We appreciate you calling in. All righty. Thanks, brother. Yeah, I, I, I think the Eric All-Noah Fant com- uh, comparison is intriguing because of how those two guys run. Like, I watched Noah Fant in the league, Don, and ever since he went into the league, what, two years ago, I, I feel like he's been underutilized. I think he's had unfortunate situations in in Denver and in Seattle with quarterbacks that aren't the best and play callers that have not gotten him the ball effectively. He is special, and he does not run like a tight end. And what I've seen from Eric All, he didn't really run like a tight end either. He kind of runs like a receiver in a tight end's body, and that's what's intriguing to me. And that's why I never bought into the Laporta Lachey. I mean, people were saying this exact thing a year ago, Don. That Laporta yeah. and Lachey were going to be the next Hawkinson fan. There is a difference because I think All and Lachey play differently. And although Laporta is, I think, going to be a fabulous NFL tight end, uh, he was more of the Hawkinson type of runner. Uh, I don't right. think he had the athletic that he didn't have the speed that like a Noah Fant had. Um, right. And neither does Lachey, for that matter. But I think this tandem has the opportunity to kind of be the bread and butter, um, like Hawkinson Fant did in 2018. So, anyways, uh, let's go to our next caller. James is on the line. James, welcome to the show. James to James transition, I guess. James to James. How you doing, Don? I'm doing well, James. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, First off, about the quarterback thing, and you did bring it up earlier, but I do feel like it is important with the transfer portal – does it make it even more inevitable to kind of to play your backups in like when you're kind of like beating somebody? So like if you're up like 44 to three, you know, or whatever, or not 44 to three, but like 28 to three or something. Like, is it more, is it more effective to play your backups being scared that they're, I know you're not thinking they're going to transfer, but like as a fan, do you think we would think it's more likely that to play them so they don't transfer so we don't lose as much? Cause I feel like, like playing Padilla, not playing Padilla in some situations is kind of why he left, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Uh, to me, there's another reason that gets overlooked sometimes about why you play the backup. You play the backup so you don't get your starter injured. What is more foolish than injuring a starter when the game, when the outcome of the game is already settled? For sure, and I feel like last year it made it more, it made it more weird because it was like they, it felt like they didn't trust anybody but Spencer, but yet they keep leaving Spencer in those situations late in the game where he could risk getting injured. And I didn't understand that. I was like, why do you keep leaving him in? If it seems like it's the only guy that you trust, why do you keep leaving him out there for a chance to get injured? You're right. There was that infamous game that lasted seven hours that had three weather delays. And I think the only backup that did not play in that game was the backup quarterback for us. I think everybody else got to play. The backup quarterback, for whatever reason, was not allowed to play. For sure. And I just feel like that's probably the reason why, like, and I'm not saying obviously we got Kate out of it, so it worked, right? But, like, you never know what's going to happen at quarterback, you know, especially at Iowa. You don't know what if we're going to be able to get somebody, you know, to be a replacement or something. So you don't want to do what could cause you to risk something. And I feel like that's at every position, too. Like, some positions are deeper than others. But, like, I feel like sometimes getting the backup reps, and even you don't know, too, because if somebody does go down, like, I think it's what I heard Padilla last year, too, is he didn't get a lot of reps, so when he had to play, he was a little rusty because he wasn't playing a lot. He didn't play when he needed to in situations like that. I think you're right. 
And I do know, I do know it matters a lot to those players. The players, maybe their parents think they should be starting, but the players in so many cases know better. They're the ones in practice every day. They see that guy playing ahead of them, and they know that he's playing at a higher level than they are. Most of them know that. They understand that. They're still committed to being the best player they can be, even if it's only in a backup role. And it wouldn't be hard for you to imagine. When you have a chance to play them, for God's sakes, play them. Because it's good for their morale. It's good for team morale. And not to mention, it, it's fun for the starters to watch their their understudies out there playing. And they, they're glad to see them play well, too, because they realize that's part of the secret of having a great team is having great depth. And you got to build that depth by giving them playing time. That's how you build their, their ability to play. What? Okay, question. What do you think is the most deep position on both sides of the football? So what do you think is the most deep position on offense and the most deep position on defense? Like the deepest position on defense would be D-line. Yeah, that's no, an no, easy, no, I don't even think that's close. <laughs> that's an easy decision for me. Uh, offensively, I'd probably say running back. Really? You, I don't you, know who our, I don't know who our fourth running back would be, but at least we have three that I think are probably good. Terrell, would it be Terrell Washington Jr. You would take running back over tight end. Well, you're right. I forgot. You're right. You could argue tight ends the deepest position. How could I forget tight ends? <laughs> I feel like uh, okay, tight end and running back. I have that. I do, I do agree with you. I feel like they're kind of about even on the offensive side of the ball with the running back in the tight end room. And obviously, with hopefully Noah doesn't miss a lot of times, but if, time, but if he does have to for the unfortunate circumstance, we at least feel more comfortable having depth at that position, if that makes sense, when he does miss time. So I feel like it's not as – it's still a big loss, but it's not as big of a loss as it could be. Like if Iowa State were to lose Deckers, that's a way bigger loss than it would be. I feel like us losing Shannon because we have more back that I feel like we trust. Well, it's also a difference between – Defensive tackle on a quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean, I know. I probably shouldn't play it that way. But I'm saying, like, some teams have a l- backups a little bit that they trust. Like, last year's situation where, like, Penn State, if they had to go to Oliver, Oliver isn't great, but you at least can trust Oliver. You know what I mean? Like, I think you can trust Oliver more than you could trust most backup quarterbacks in the nation. Some teams do have backup quarterbacks like that. So, I feel like it's all, obviously quarterbacks not as deep because you don't have as many. But I don't th- think I would say, I mean, Levi, who knows? He's kind of. He wasn't making sense, but he, he might uh, trust Rocco Brecht or uh, J.J. Cole, but I don't think I would if I was in their situation. So, Don, I'm just curious. Let's let's piggyback on that topic from uh, from James. Um, the defensive line, you've got eight guys who you trust right now, maybe more, um, and I, I think there's potential for more. I think a guy like Jeremiah Pittman could emerge this year. Uh, I think Ontario Thompson who's not listed on the depth chart but transferred in from Iowa Western, that he's got a chance. But, I mean, if you were to name a starting four right now, let, let's just play that game for a second, Don. Who's the starting defense? Regardless of what the depth chart says, who, who's the starting four right now? I'm not sure. I am absolutely not sure. I don't think our defensive line coach knows for sure yet. Well, it's probably – I think it's up for grabs. Reasonable to think that it's going to, that assuming Shannon is available, you're going to have Shannon and Lee next to each other. And then Joe Evans and Deontay Craig, right? I mean, probably based on playing time last fall. Yeah. But my point to bring this up is would it be any, would it be a shock to anybody if Aaron Graves by season's end is starting somewhere? Would it be a shock? I'm an Aaron Graves fan. I like that kid. He's going to be a really good player. And YA Black is, he's, I mean, talk about uh, maybe some untapped potential. He's one of the biggest guys I've ever stood next to. 
at the college level, and he's listed as a backup on the depth chart. You've got Ethan Herkett, who's had plenty of playing time. Uh, I mentioned Ontario Thompson, Jeremiah Pittman. Um, it, it's and I know I'm missing. Am I missing people? Done. Let me let me look at the let me look at the. You know, you know the depth chart better than I do. Here's the depth chart. Um, who did I not? Well, Max Llewellyn has played. Uh, yeah, he was on so, the depth chart, wasn't Llewellyn? Yeah, yeah, Llewellyn is on the depth chart as well. So, you know, and and who knows? We don't know what you know. We had guys that came in like Caden Crawford, who came in during the the 22 class. Um, you know, you you never know. Sometimes you see true freshmen get in there and get a few snaps. They've got so much depth back there, James. That I, I think that uh, the Noah Shannon, although you don't want to hear about your a veteran player, uh, a guy who's a starter could potentially miss time due to an infraction with gambling. If there's any position that you could sustain it at its defensive line. And I feel like that's what's made us so, so good on defense. I mean, obviously there's other pieces like Jack Campbell and stuff, but like the depth of the defensive line, like they're not getting tired because you have so much depth behind them that you keep rotating them in and you have certain situations where you know what's best for them. Like certain people on third down are better than other people, you know? So I feel like that's what's made it better too, is the fact that you have fresh pass rushes to get there. And then you have Jack, and then behind it, who can kind of just seal it off. Corey, this is the perfect time for me to address this fact. There's another parameter that is trending upward in recent years, and it's highest it's ever been based on last fall, and that would be edge on defensive sacks. Now, we've been historically good on defense. The only negative for us is that we've given up too many sacks the last couple of years. I have a lot of confidence in saying with – uh, maybe an improved offensive line and a more mobile quarterback that that sack total that other teams register against us is going to be smaller than it has been in the past. And that's a good stat to have on our side that we have not always won. Even though we've sacked the opponent, they've also sacked us. And uh, that is a good stat to have on your side. Uh, most coaches do feel a sack is defined as a drive killer. So often sacks, of course, occur on third down because you're more likely to be in the passing situation on third down anyway than on first and second down. And, um, and of course, after third down comes a punt on fourth down, if you're sacked on third down, probably. So I think it's safe to say if we can win on sacks, uh, that's a good stat to have on our, on our side because it, it does produce a high percentage of winning football. All right, one more question before I <clears throat> get off. I'm going to flip it now. It says strongest. What do you think is the weakest or the position that scares you the most on each side of the ball? I think I know your answers. I'm just intrigued by what it would be. Position that's, that scares us on both sides of the ball? Oh. Is that what you said, James? Yeah. Like, what do you think is what do you think is the weakest or the position that scares you the most on each side? Uh, well, that scares me the, the most would probably be offensive line, although my concern is equally as strong regarding the receivers. Because, Donna, I think it's fair to say if the offensive line can't block, you know, it doesn't matter what the receivers are doing <laughs> to, some, to some extent, right? You got to be able to run the football. You got to be able to give Cade time. So that well, let's would... face it, that's, that's 45% of your starting lineup. Yeah. Uh, or 46% maybe. Um, so, you know, it's hard to operate without five, five good guys that are numbered 50 to 79. You need guys that can perform. As you've heard me say before, Corey, you can have an All-American center. All that really means is that he's going to block his guy pretty much all day long. But that only allows us to account for one of those defensive linemen. Uh, can we block the other three? 
with those other four defenders that we four blockers that we that we have on our offensive line. Uh, and the point is, you can't have a breakdown across the line of scrimmage anywhere because so often, if one guy's beaten, it does affect the outcome of the play. It's either a sack or the quarterback is forced to pull the ball down and run. Anything else, James? No, I enjoy you guys tonight and uh, excited for the season to start. Hopefully, we can have a good job. I've seen, been seeing a lot of people say that they think we're not us in particular, but like more like media people that think they know college football that are saying we're going to lose Iowa State. And I don't really understand that one, but hopefully we can get yeah, them. Because I, I don't know what that's based on. It's just I don't know either. I just see a lot of people like, you know, when they predict like the schedules and stuff, like they're predicting yeah. us to lose Iowa State. And I'm like, I don't. I understand we lost last year, but we also. It's on, it's on the road. I have no doubt it, it could very well be a close game. But uh, as of right now, I'd, I'd favor Iowa. So, somewhat heavily, given the fact that it's on on the road, I wouldn't favor it as heavily as a normal year. But I mean, Don, I'd say right now, if the line came out, I was probably five point favorites. Well, if you want to talk about momentum from one season to the next, then we clearly have more momentum. We won our bowl game; they didn't go to one. Yeah, they had uh, momentum back in September when they knocked us off, but it didn't it didn't last, of course. But I right, enjoy you guys this night and. Uh... I'll be here for the rest of it. Make sure you leave a like on the video, by the way, everybody that's listening as well. Thank you, James. Appreciate it, sir. All right. Um, We've got a couple callers on hold. Uh, We're going to put our caller on the phone line on hold as well. And here's what's going to happen. We've got 121 people on here, so it's time to give away a couple of tickets to the Black Keys, Don. And uh, before we do that, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, and that, of course, is Ascent Nutrition. They've been with us for a long time and uh, you'll I'll show you their website here if you haven't checked out the goascentnutrition.com website be sure to do that scroll down and look at their many products so many great options to better your health start your ascent today with ascent nutrition you can shop their many products right here on the home page but how about their agaricon mushroom and their lion's mane mushroom both of these products have uh, shown tremendous ability to help immune system health gut health etc you can read all about the positive effects of their new mushroom products by visiting goascentnutrition.com. So much information. You can read customer reviews and, again, look at their related products uh, and, and just so many great testimonies of how these products have helped people uh, deal with problems that uh, they are have been facing for a long period of time. And uh, who doesn't need a better immune system? Uh, again, better uh, digestive health. Uh, blood sugar support is another uh, benefit of these products. And you can use the code Hawkeyes at checkout for 15% off your order. So when you, you're here on the uh, Go Ascent Nutrition website, you click checkout. If you're buying this or you're buying a couple different products. And then, of course, as you scroll down, you enter your information and you'll enter the code Hawkeyes right here on the right. Again, that's the code Hawkeyes for 15% off your order. You'll click apply. And that's the benefit, the perk of being uh, a listener here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Again, we appreciate Lance Shuttler and Ascent Nutrition for sponsoring the show. Visit GoAscentNutrition.com for more information. All right. Well, Don, uh, I'm going to let you introduce this. And here's how we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to, we've got a couple people on the phone line. So we're going to give uh, our callers on the phone line first crack at our trivia question. I don't know if they called in for the trivia question or not, but if they did, I want to give them an opportunity to answer it. 
So uh, let's let's get our first caller on the phone line. Thank you for calling Hawkeye Hangout here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Who's on the line? Hello. Hey, it's uh, Brian. Hey, Brian. How are you? Can you hear me? Well, I can hear you. Can you hear us? Yep. Perfect. Yeah. You, okay. You want to, Brian? Do you do you have a question for Coach, or do you want to take a shot at our trivia questions for the tickets? Oh, I, I, I couldn't hear the uh, show, but I'll take a shot at the trivia question. But I do have a question. Go go ahead with so the question, then it, we'll we'll get we'll throw you the trivia question. Okay. Well, bef- before I say anything else, I want to say somebody called in a bit ago and said, "What position are is weakest on each side of the ball?" I want to point out offensively, it would be the offensive coordinator. Uh, I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm struggling a little bit as a as a fan because. Uh, at the end of the season last year, I was so angry. I mean, just disgusted. Um, but part of being a Hawk fan is, you know, the season turns over and uh, you want to go in optimistically and feeling like feeling like things maybe have, have changed. I, I do want to ask this. It's looking backward a little bit, but it's for you and Coach. Uh, when you look back last year at the situation with our wide receivers and our offensive line, and with uh, maybe, you know, Spencer not developing as good as he could, would you quantify uh, how much of the, 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 the blame a guy like me should be putting on Brian for the offensive performance versus, uh, you know, and I hate to use the word blame with kids because these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, but how much of it was the play calling and philosophy versus how much of it was just the development or lack thereof of the athletes. That's a good question, Don. You want to take first shot at that? Well, coaches feel, you know, the definition of a coach, of course, is is he can maybe enable a young man to play better than what he could imagine. That's the definition of great coaching, enabling a player to actually perform at a level that they didn't dream they could do. Uh, and that's very difficult to do, but that's your goal. And every now and then you feel like you get that done. Obviously, if they if they don't play up to their abilities, then that's an indictment of you as a coach. So I think uh, the responsibility for that really is shared between player and coach. They're both they they both invested in it, and they both have a a role to to perform. And and um, frankly, you could point out that that both those positions. Uh, should have been able to find a way to perform better than what they did last fall. Maybe that sounds like a lame answer that I'm blaming blaming both sides equally, but I think there's there's blame in, in both spots. Um, okay, well, w- let me let me let me kind of. Uh, let me of course, well, that doesn't even address the fact that the O line, of course, has to has to contribute to that too. So it's never one person's fault. It's always shared among many. And, and let me, I just want to make sure I heard you correct, Call it. Your name is Brian? Yes. Yeah. And we're talking about Brian Ferentz, right? Yeah, my name personally is Brian. Okay. But I am talking about Brian Ferentz. But you, you're yeah. not Brian yeah. Ferentz, correct? <laughs> correct. Okay. Yeah. I just here, – here's what I would say. This is from a totally different perspective of Don, not being a, a, a coach like Don Patterson was, but – 
from my perspective as the average Joe, when I look at struggles with play calling and I look at struggles with development and, oh, you're, you know, guys aren't executing up front, wide receivers aren't getting separation, your quarterback uh, is, well, I don't even know what to say because I don't want to attack Spencer any more than we have. Um, and this is obviously not a one-year thing. This has been an issue for quite a long period of time. These last two years have been historically bad. But what's the common denominator? And some would say it's Kirk Ferentz. Uh, although the offense has, uh, and we don't have to debate this today, but the offense has been worse over the last two years than it's ever been under Kirk. And so I, I just hesitate, Brian, to ever blame players. And I know you said the same thing, but when you're looking at issues across the board, if players don't have the right attitude or they don't have the right players here, either way, who does that fall back on? That falls back on the coaching staff. Because either you're, A, not coaching these players well enough, you're not developing them well enough, or you're not recruiting the right players. All of it comes back to you as a coach. You have to be accountable. And so I I totally understand where you're coming from when you talk about struggling with Brian and struggling with Kirk. Um, I have turned over a new leaf as, as it relates to this coming season because I appreciate Kirk Ferentz for what he is and – doesn't mean I'm not frustrated with him for not making changes that I feel were right for the program. Um, but there's a lot of young men in this program who are really, who really want to win. And uh, I, I hope that they go 12 and 0. Um, but I also understand struggling with wanting to see this type of behavior enabled, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a the, the tough part for me is it's like an accountability issue right and so on one hand uh, i'm very proud of kirk and like what he's done for the program and you know um the way that i was going about doing it it's very iowa like but uh when it comes to to accountability which is like a core thing that i'm sure they're teaching their players it seems like there's a lot of that lacking when it comes to answering for this offensive performance you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's met with denial, which really, really turns me off as a fan. Oftentimes it's, it's met insulting with denial. my intelligence. Oftentimes yeah. it's met with denial. In fact, uh, Kirk Ferentz, uh, we're not going to turn this into a rip fest, but Kirk Ferentz was quoted this past week as saying that Iowa, the numbers, the Iowa, Iowa offensive numbers were pretty good offensively. That's a quote until the last couple of yeah. years. That's that's just hogwash. They have not been pretty good offensively until the last couple of years. They've been below average almost the entire length of Kirk's tenure relative to two, the two years ago. And the last two years, Don, they've been pretty good offensively prior. But, you know, it's it's again, it's Kirk Ferentz. I don't think Kirk's trying to be disingenuous, but he looks at it from a totally different perspective than a lot of us look at it. And it's it's you you have to admit that it's only fair to assume that it's likely his his stance and his view on this is only exacerbated by the situation, the dynamic with having his son on the staff. Um, I will say this, Brian, in, in two days, Iowa has a new athletic director. So I don't know what that's going to mean. Beth gets if she ends up getting the full time job, uh, the permanent job, uh, you know, maybe she'll she'll uh, allow Kirk to continue this if if say this season doesn't go as planned and and uh, Brian doesn't meet the marks again and Kirk wants to keep him on. Maybe Beth will tip her cap to him. I don't know. But I think this a lot of this, you can just keep going up the ladder. And Gary Barta has been at the forefront of so many of these issues 
and he is no longer going to be employed at Iowa in two days. So we we may have seen the last of the enabling and the lack of accountability with the administration. Well, you know, I will say that 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 uh, something that helped ease my anger last year was right after they had that ridiculous benchmark, um, the twenty five points a game and seven wins. It took about seven seconds for somebody to be online selling uh, Iowa football twenty five seven t shirts. And I don't know, I don't know if that was you guys, but uh, whoever it was, um, it made me laugh. With that, you know, I can't imagine with this team that they're not going to win seven games and average 25 points a game. I just, I think that they blow the doors off of that. I think that the, the opportunity to really have a good team, I mean, it feels like uh, there's enough, enough talent on that field and there's enough uh, softness in the schedule that, um, that even, even Brian couldn't mess it up. This- I will say that I, I want to get it done this year, though, because it seems like going forward – uh, the next Big Ten championship that comes to Iowa City is going to be much, much harder, right? Uh, sure, absolutely. With the Big Ten changing, this is the year to do it. That's why I've. That's another big reason why I've put aside my frustrations with, with Kirk and with Brian and that dynamic because of the situation. And I think personnel-wise, this team has a chance to get it done, like you said. Um, I will say this. You're absolutely right, but the seven-win thing is the most – I mean, we could look back at that, and we've discussed it at length. That is the most ridiculous, insane uh, parameter I've ever heard of, Don. The fact that part, one of the That's a very low bar. That's a low bar. But remember, it's, it's seven wins, including a bowl game. They can go six and six. Win, they can win the American Standard uh, Toilet Bowl up in Detroit – Go seven and six, and Brian's met his mark. That, that's ridiculous. Now, the 25 points per game is a little bit higher, but I agree with Brian. I, I think uh, both of those will be met with. Well, let's Brian. not forget, that includes defensive scoring. That includes all kinds of points that, that come through the kicking game, too. That's a really low bar also. We had years uh, in which our back. goal was to score 28 points in every game we played. Not to average 25, but to score 28 Week in and week out. That's difficult to do. If you do that, you probably do average at least 35 or 40 points a game. Because, obviously, every now and then you run into a great defense, and and it's a, a real strain to score 28, I'll say that, in that particular game. Um, Don, I did I did want to ask one, one more uh, directly at you, because you would know this best, which is uh, the other thing that I that, that's hard for me with uh, the Hawks is it seems like always those first few games of the season, you know, um, we come out a little flat. I'm thinking back to the uh, UNI game where we uh, had to win by a block field goal, two block field goals, I think. And, uh, you know, South Dakota State and on and on. And a lot of the time, Kirk will be talking about how, you know, they're still kind of finding their way or working their way through. And as a fan, I look at, at the programs that are really thriving, that are in, you know, pedal to the metal. And it feels like uh, Nick Saban and uh, company are not still trying to figure out what they have uh, two weeks into the season, but they know what they've got. Is that like just a, a blue blood royalty thing because the talent's so high there? Or do you see that as kind of a hitch in the giddy up for Iowa as well with them kind of being slow starters? Is that something a common, a regular coach at a, at a typical program is still trying to, 
figure out what they have week one, week two, week three of the season? Well, one of the things I always tried to accomplish as a coach, when you approach game one, you'd like to, obviously you'd like to win the game, but maybe more important than that is you'd like to gain confidence with how you play. Well, let's face it, if you're an offensive player, how can you gain confidence if you don't put up a bunch of points? So our goal was to always make a statement even on game one. It didn't matter who we were playing. If it happened to be a weak opponent, we always focused on not playing down to their level. We wanted to play up to our level. And if the score got out of hand, then we'd play more players. That's just simply the way we did it. And um, for that reason, it was it was not a valid excuse to say, well, we – we didn't have a lot of offense in. We wanted to be conservative here in game one and not beat ourselves. You got plenty of time to prepare in August. That's the whole purpose of August, of course, is to be ready, as Coach Fry used to say, to let them out of shoot number one. That's That was one of his expressions. You might recall, generally, we were ready to play in, in game one. Uh, we were excited about playing. We'd been getting ready for it for a month. And um, typically, we started pretty fast. And that's not surprising to me because the players were excited about playing someone other than themselves. Uh, and we'd had a good bit of time, of course, to prepare for that first game, more than a week. We're working on the game plan preparation at least uh, with a week and a half to go before we play. We're not going to wait until game week because we have the luxury of camp days to be getting ready. So we were always well prepared for game one. So in other words, Don, uh, it would be fair to think that Kirk Ferentz, by the time we get to September 1st, should have a pretty good idea of what he has to a point where we shouldn't necessarily be just seeing vanilla week one heading into, you know, not knowing what changes have been made. I mean, if we're going to be seeing some changes, we're going to see those changes week one. Is that fair? Let me qualify in this one run regard, the sake of argument, if there's a coaching change involving a coordinator at Utah State, Obviously, you're a little more in the dark now because you don't know for sure, sure. what that what that new coordinator believes in. Uh, but even then, of course, if he if he coached at at um, San Jose the year before, then you're getting film from San Jose, and you still have an idea of what he believes in from a coaching perspective. You're going to do your homework. You're gonna you're gonna put the word out as best you can to find out what's in that guy's head. Well, but but watching the two watching the two side by side, like one thing that that that, that Kirk will talk a lot about is is we're not going to change a lot. Brian says this a lot. We're not going to change what we do, right? We know who we are, and they they just believe that they're going to do the same thing, and that if they execute, if the players execute, that they'll win the game. When Coach Fry was there, did you see more? Like, would, would there be more like a, a change in approach based on who you're playing each week? Or was Coach Fry's teams like that very much too? Like, this is our identity and this is exactly our map. And if the players execute, we'll win. Good question. We always installed plays from week to week that we've never run before. That was always part of the next game plan. And the reasons are kind of obvious. If you can, if you can execute even at a – at a, an average level with some of these new plays, they have a great chance to work because they have the element of surprise. Uh, obviously, if you prepare well for what the other team does, then you're not surprised on game day and you should be able to, uh, to meet force with force and be able to defend them very, very well. There's something to be said for the element of surprise. And we always tried to have 
a certain element of surprise from one week to the next. Well, I won't see it this year because Sam Laporta has moved on, but if I never see that little jailbreak screen to the tight end again in my life, uh, I've seen it enough because that, that seemed like the only thing we did last year You're talking that, about that maybe caught I guess. That was a good play for us, so I didn't have any problem with that play. If anything, I wish we'd run it a few more times. Well, the, the, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just saying it was the only – to me, it was the only thing that I saw as a casual fan that really surprised me. Something gotcha. that seemed different. Well, Brian, do you, yeah. do you want to take a shot at our trivia question for a chance to win Black Keys tickets? I'll try. I'll do okay. my best. So, Don, do you want me to give it to him or you want to give it to him? You can go right ahead. Okay, Brian. So the trivia question that Coach Patterson uh, gave to us is uh, Iowa played BYU – and Heisman Trophy winner Ty Detmer to a 13-13 tie back in 1991. So the question here is, this is a tough one. Who caught Ty Detmer's last college football pass? I I haven't a clue. I have not a clue. You can uh yeah, but but you know the whole time that you're saying that I think I'm going to get this. It's, it's Ty Detmer, and then it's BYU, and then you kept knocking, knocking out my answers. I even knew it was thirteen, thirteen, uh, but I, 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 I don't know. To, uh, you, you, you stumped me. We had to make one that was uh, semi difficult to just Google and find. So, uh, Brian, if you uh, come up with the answer, feel free to call back. Sounds good. Good luck on that. Somebody, will, somebody will grab it. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, let's go to our next caller. Thank you for calling Hawkeye Hangout here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Who's on the line? Good Sunday afternoon, gentlemen. This is John. Hey, John. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, you had a podcast, and uh, it was one of the incoming freshmen, and he said, uh, my parents are moving 10 to 15 minutes away over in Coralville, my first thought as a parent was at some point you've got to let your kids go and let them walk on their own two feet. Um, for the most part, do the parents let uh, the coaches try and accomplish what they're trying to accomplish, or are they in the ears of their uh, sons saying, you know, you should be starting and that kind of That's a good question. Just for some some clarification and some context here, Don, uh, John is referring to Alex Moda, who is from Marion. So his parents are, are apparently moving from Marion to Coralville. Uh, that's a that's a good question, though, from John. Uh, Don, what do you think? Well, I don't think we know what their motive is to move down here. Uh, I'd like to believe it's a lot more than just to be that much closer to Kinnick Stadium. I'll say this, in recruiting, one of the things you do, of course, is always um, – spend some time thinking about the relationship between parents and recruit. And, uh, and to be honest with you, if we have what you might refer to as helicopter parents, at some point that's, that's a negative. Uh, you know, we want, we want parents. I was always uh, disappointed when this happened, you would have a, a, a mom, typically a mom more so than a dad that would say in, in private without their son, being in, in that conversation, they would say, you know, we're so impressed with your program and we're very impressed with the school. The only concern, I'm just not comfortable with my son going 
this from home. And like that as a coach, you're you're tempted to say, well, why didn't you do a better job of raising your son then? Then we wouldn't be in this spot. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that parents, if they've been a, serious about being the best possible parent, I'd like to believe by the time their son graduates from high school, they would have every confidence that he was going to be able to do well, even if he went halfway across the country. If that was the school that he wanted to attend, uh, I'd like to believe he would do well wherever he went. And I'm the same person that jumped on a plane when I was 18 years old and left Texas for West Point, New York. And that's a pretty big adjustment too, but it was an adjustment I was excited about and, and it all worked out very well. So parents that are helicopter parents, those are a little bit of a concern because you know they might be more involved than what what you'd prefer that they were. Um, and for, for the record, I know you, you're not calling Alex Moda's parents because no. you don't know them. But No, I don't know at all. I, I don't know what their motive is, and it's frankly, it's none of my business what their reasons are to move down. But I, I, I do know there are certain parents that move um, great distance to be nearby to their son or daughter when they go to college. And, and to me, uh, part of part of the experience of going to college is going away to school. Uh, our own our own daughter. I, I wanted her to. She wanted to be a pharmacy major, and I mentioned when she was a sophomore in high school. You know, I was got a great pharmacy school, and she said, "Yeah, they do, Dad." And then the next breath, she said, "There's as good, produces even better." Well, I couldn't argue with her because that's what the that's what the evaluations showed. If she could get accepted into Purdue, and we could afford to send her to Purdue, I was all for that. That's where she went to school. She got a great education, and it's been paying off every year for her the rest of her life. It will. Uh, so it's okay to go away to school. I think it's a healthy thing. Uh, what's kind of sad about about the situation we're in in this country right now, there are all kinds of sons and daughters that are still living at home, and they might be in their late 20s or early 30s. That's, that's unfortunate because 20 years ago, Parents thought, I, I put you through college, I've done my job, now you're on your own. And obviously they wouldn't turn their back on their child if they had a, a financial catastrophe to deal with. But in general, college students used to think, I've got to go out and be gainfully employed because my mom and dad have done all they can do. Corey, I bet you felt that way when you were graduating from college. It's time for me to go to work. Felt that way before that, Don. Yeah, felt that way graduating high school, um, but not, uh, with the, that being said, everybody's different. Everybody's Correct. different. So, um, I, I mean, I, again, I don't know Alex Moda's parents, John. I do think it's interesting that they're moving from Marion to Iowa City. It's not like they're they're moving from Minneapolis to Iowa City. You could attend every game living in Marion. So I don't know. Maybe that maybe one of his parents got a, a job in Iowa City. I have no idea. But uh, that's. Uh, you know, some some families are closer than others, but I, I think Don, you have a better perspective on it than I than I do. Well, you yeah. know, we we we're excited about parents attending every last game, of course, but it's it's okay if they have to drive a while to get here. That's okay. It was just something I was curious about, um, Coach. Did did Hayden have a good working relationship with Jim Zobel? I heard one time at a team banquet. Uh, I think it was him. He said that one thing about Jim Zobel is he never lets the facts get in the way of a good broadcast. Well, to my knowledge, um, 
Hayden and Jim always got along greatly. Um, you know, he was the voice of Iowa football, and and um, I'm sure Kirk has a priority to be on great terms with Gary Dolphin, much as Hayden had a priority of being on great terms with Jim. Uh, Jim was loyal to Iowa football through and through, and to my knowledge, they I don't know if they ever had a harsh word. They certainly didn't have many. I'm sure of that. John, mm -hmm. uh, right. you, you want to take a shot at our trivia question for tickets to the Black Keys? Uh, no, thank you. I'm going to pass. I don't go to the state fair, so we'll let somebody else have it. That's good on you, John. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, guys. You want to take a shot at our trip? By, by the way, uh, to our user in the chat who spoiled the question, and obviously, uh, however you found the answer, whether you Googled it or you knew it and you put it in the chat, I blocked you from commenting for the rest of the show for that. So I don't know if that, you know, again, uh, this is a call-in contest. So I think we'll we'll mix this up, Don. We'll make this a little bit more, a little bit easier for people, a little bit more fair. We'll take our next caller, and then we'll we'll take caller number five. All right, we'll throw back to the old radio days. Caller number five will win two tickets to the Black Keys. So let's take our our first caller. This will count as caller number one. And if if you want to make a comment in between calls, that's fine. fine. All right, we'll throw whoa, back the old whoa, radio days. Whoa, Lemansky. Can you hear me? I got you on speakerphone, I but I can me. take it off speakerphone if it helps. I could hear me. <laughs> How you doing, sir? How do I sound? You sound fine. How are you? Good. Welcome back, uh, the dynamic duo to uh, Iowa football. Uh, boy, the the path ahead looks a lot brighter than it did yesterday because you two guys. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Lemansky, and thank you for being here. You know, I've I've heard so much about realignment. I have a headache. So, from the Hawkeye of the storm, it looks like Don did not do realignment and replace you, Corey. So that makes me happy. Yeah, Don, we didn't talk realignment. You want to provide some thoughts on Colorado going back to the the Big Twelve? Well, a lot of people wonder why they ever left. Um, of course, maybe the same people would wonder why Nebraska left left for the Big Ten. Also, those two. Those two programs were in the Big Twelve back then, the Big Eight, of course, for so many years, and it seemed like they belonged in the Midwest in terms of travel. And uh, it was a little bit odd that Colorado decided to go to the Pac-12 because I think it probably involved maybe a little more travel than what they were used to in the in the Big Eight. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure why they went back. I guess they've had only modest success. I'm guessing one reason they went back is. Maybe their new football coach thought that was a good idea. Maybe other coaches in other sports too. But um, certainly Colorado had is a big part of the history of the Big the Big Eight. And I guess the Big 12 also. They were in the Big 12 for a period of time as well. Uh, Corey, I caught uh, your discussion uh, regarding Phil Steele's magazine. So that's what I'm going to refer to because I think it's interesting. Um information that's hard to get a hold of but and it'll lead to a question to don and and even you Corey, and it's about uh returning experience and i haven't had much uh, data historically but uh i've had phil Steele's magazine in my hand for a few years and what's interesting to me that they have uh like five or six categories where they get a grading scale in the big ten and of course, it's senior uh, seniors returning, juniors, sophomores, number of two deeps, uh, 
which uh, is kind of interesting because it varies in the two deep. Like Penn State has no seniors in the two deep, but they got five starting. But anyway, the Hawkeyes are fourth behind Michigan, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. And Don, uh, and then Ohio State's below Iowa, so your listeners will be interested where where Michigan and Ohio State are, and, and Penn State's right below Ohio State. So the big three are right around us. Uh, Illinois is second to the bottom, and I've heard people talk about they've lost a lot. So they're second to the bottom in the Big Ten. Nebraska is fourth from the bottom in the Big Ten. Don, talk to me about your own head coaching experience and your time with Hayden. Uh, elaborate on the seasons when you had a lot of experience and maybe the seasons that you don't, how important is it? It varies, of course, from one team to the next. And, I mean, even at Iowa, every team's a different, a different group of players. Um, I would just say this. We always saw ourselves as a developmental program, and certainly I was still a developmental program. And in that regard, I, I do think we always attached a lot of value to having a guy that had played a lot. Even if he wasn't a great player, he knew what to do. He'd been in the, been in the fight uh, any number of games, and you knew you could count on him to give you a great effort and to understand how to play. So he wasn't going to make foolish mistakes. That's where the experience comes in. Experience is worthwhile. Having said that, you mentioned Ohio State is a team that's got a lot of young players in their lineup. Young players that are really talented, let's face it. Um, you know, we thought Tim Dwight was really good even when he was a freshman, and we were right. So he played a lot of football even as a freshman. And, of course, played even more as the years went forward, but he played from day one. Uh, and, of course, other other players fall in that category, too. So um, you mentioned Rutgers is one of the most experienced teams, right, in the Big Ten? I'm pretty sure that's not going to equate to a lot of wins. Um, so, you know, if he's an experienced player that has some talent, that's one thing. If he's an experienced player and doesn't have much talent, then that won't get you too far. That helps. How much uh... – both of you. Do you have any comment on that, Corey? No, I don't. I, I, I that's a good comment. I, 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 and having not been in a position like Coach Patterson, I'd have no idea. I just can tell you that uh, if you're a developmental program, experience helps, right? That's kind of stating the obvious. But uh, I know Iowa State, we had that conversation with Levi Stevenson, the Iowa State guy from SB Nation, and that was one thing he brought up about Iowa State struggles last year. They lost so much two years ago, and although I don't think that's a valid excuse to go from – you know, being a potential nine-win team to winning four games, it, it can really hurt you if you're not uh, if you're not developing depth. Um, losing a bunch of super seniors, especially with the extra COVID year and guys sticking around for five or six years, that can that can hurt you. And we've seen that. And that's all the more reason to play backups when you have a chance, just to keep that pipeline coming. People on the field, you've already today mentioned about. Uh, and I'm going to throw two things in my conversation is that the toughest schedule is according to Phil Steele, Iowa state's got the fourth toughest schedule according to him. And Iowa's got the 69th and they're almost uh, grouped with Oregon and Michigan. I really hope and pray almost that we get 
quarterbacks on the field, there's no position that's more important than quarterback, and you can't play two quarterbacks at a time. So I think that's really key for this year, then when the conference is expanded. So I'm really looking forward to, if we got improvement in all of the positions, let's get a young quarterback out there to to make them at ease, you know. Um, I think that's very important. Uh, and I think... I think if we don't beat Iowa State, that's that's a bad omen for the future, even if it's a rivalry game based on what they got returning and some of their problems. But uh, I, I think this year with the easier schedule, Don and Corey, this is a great opportunity, and there's no there's no excuses left on the table. And I I've been pretty hard on Gary Barda, and I think I've been pretty hard on the Iowa quarterback history. Because we didn't have anybody, like you said earlier, Don, when if you want to make a change, I guess what I remember is that Kirk didn't want to make a change because he didn't have confidence in his quarterback room. Well, I think we got a pretty good quarterback room. Uh, you care to comment on any of those comments? I think we've got a pretty good quarterback. I don't know that we have a pretty good quarterback room, Don. I wouldn't give the room credit for being that good yet because the other guys are simply unproven. Um, let's face it, the transfer from Wisconsin, I think through one pass at Wisconsin, he, he wasn't good enough to get on the field last year. and That's not an indictment of him. He was a young player. And, of course, Joey didn't play much either. So, um, you know, we don't have anybody that's proven much of anything other than Cade. And let's face it, we're fortunate to have Cade out there playing, and we need to do the best we can to protect him. And if we have a chance to get him off the field – when the game's in good hand, good hands, then we should do it. By the way, I feel good about Marco Linez, but he also just got here like a month ago. <laughs> so. I agree. I like I like him. He's got a chance to be a really good player too. Anything else? And then Phil Steele, go, go ahead. Excuse me. No, I was just going to ask you if there's anything else. Uh, to, to wrap it up, Marco Linez does make the list of outstanding freshman quarterbacks across the country. He's he's uh, recognized. My comment, I guess, to put it in context is, how did we ever know what our quarterback room was before? Because nobody got any playing time. And so in the context of my comment is, let's get some of these younger quarterbacks on the field so we can build something to the future because I'm going to agree with Corey over – many years, the difference in, in Don's tenure at Iowa and Kirk Ferentz's tenure at Iowa, the offensive side of the ball, in particular quarterback development, people ready to play, uh, just hasn't been there comparing the two regimes in Iowa football. Hang up and listen to the rest of the show. Thank you, Lemansky. Appreciate the phone call, sir. You agree with that, Don? Yes, I do. I think we did a good job of preparing quarterbacks. We were known to always have a good quarterback, and we almost always did. The numbers kind of speak for themselves. All right, let's see if we can uh, let's see if we can give away some tickets to the Black Keys. And if we uh, don't get a whole lot of enthusiasm for this, I'll uh, we'll have to figure out a home for the other two. Caller number five wins two tickets to the Black Keys. So uh, I guess I said earlier that Lemansky counted as caller number one. So. If you're interested in free tickets to see uh, a great modern rock group in the Black Keys at the Iowa State Fair Grandstand, call 515-635-1601, 515-635-1601.
1601. All right, let's go to our caller on StreamYard. OS for Hawks is with us. How you doing, sir? Sorry, can you hear me now? I can hear you. I had my mic muted. I apologize. You are um, fine. Good afternoon, Corey, and good afternoon, Coach. Um, I just wanted to say uh, I apologize if some of the information that I put in the chat was inappropriate earlier, Corey. Um, what did you I'm, put in the chat? I didn't see anything that Brian Well, no, I just put in there, there was some sad news. I'm from the hometown of Jared DeVries. Um, I live in that area. Jared's young son, Easton, passed away on Friday. Um, the young man had a heart condition from birth. Um, there was an unfortunate accident in June and there were some complications since then. And uh, he had a procedure done this week in Iowa City and unfortunately he passed away Friday. Well, uh, that's what I put in there. So I just, yeah. no, I, first of all, I appreciate you calling in and explaining that. And the only reason I didn't put it, I did see the comment. I didn't put it up on the screen because I just wanted to make sure we could validate that before uh, I had heard that he was in the hospital. And I do appreciate you uh, talking about that. And Don, had yeah. you heard that you and I hadn't discussed it. Yeah. I was aware. Yes. Well, I, I, not to validate myself, but I know Jared's parents very well. So, <laughs> well, we, I actually talked to Jared's mother um, yesterday morning. But anyway, yep. just uh, beyond that, let's get back to football. Um, I just wanted to mention a couple things. Um, I did have a guess on the trivia question, but unfortunately, I saw what was posted in the chat. Um, I did know the name, but I I had an inkling because I remembered the game that I knew that the pass, where the pass went, and I'm not going to say any more than that, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can sorry say, you can say the answer now as for Hawks. no i don't I, I didn't know the guy so i couldn't have answered the question i just knew that it was interception that's the extent of what i knew i didn't know who it was so i couldn't have answered it anyway um one of my points i wanted to bring up again is i am i am looking forward um to this season because i think iowa has a chance of having a great season and again, being an old offensive lineman back in my day, which was a long time ago, um, I believe that the big key for us this season is offensive line play. I think if we could make a marked improvement over last year, uh, I think it could be a really special year. Um, that being said, I'm also am, am high on, I'm still high on our defense. I think we're going to have a great defensive line. I think the defensive backfield is going to be, could be unbelievable. I mean, you know, maybe Wampa, he, you know, Cooper DeGene. I'm just saying that there are so many positive things going into the season about this team. And um, I appreciate your show. I love watching. And that's really all I had to say. Well, you gentlemen, uh, have a good evening. Uh, first of all, can I, I? I've asked you this before, and I apologize. What's your first name? My actual first name is Tim. Okay, Tim. Uh, if you're interested in the Black Keys tickets, uh, uh, give us a call on our phone line. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't go anyway. Um, 
not to go anywhere. I, I'm a caregiver for my elderly mother, and I can't get away for stuff like that. So, well, good, good for you. Where, where I mean, yeah. where, what part of are you in Iowa? Yeah, I I live in I live close to Jared's hometown, Appleton, Parkersburg area. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live in that area. So anyway, well, thank you again, for calling thank in. I appreciate you uh, giving that that information and confirming that for us. So. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time, sir. Thank you, Tim. Yep. Yep. You have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Brandon Burr in the chat. I second Marco at QB. True rare dual threat quarterback that will run for first downs when the play breaks down. Brad Banks 2.0. Hopefully. A few questions here in the chat, Don. Esther says, when will the season start? Well, that's an easy one. I think any of us can probably, either one of us can answer that question. September 2nd, they'll open up yep. uh, home against utah state brian wants to know if uh, you think we'll go 13 personnel with all set out side given his athleticism i would hope that would be one of the things we do absolutely to be as multiple as you can with personnel groupings makes you a little more difficult to defend so yes i'd, I'd like to see three tight ends out there at one time you bet we can do My things out of that out of that formation are getting the phil Steele magazine now that uh uh, we know he really loves the Hawkeyes this year. Yeah, he did. Uh, well, I, I'm trying to remember the, the data that Mark gave me, but I believe Phil Steele went on Mark's show and said that in his magazine, and he's, of course, been doing college football preview magazines forever, um, he's got Iowa as one of, I think, the number one improving uh, offense in the country, uh, or at least the number one improving pass offense one of the two i'm getting one of those confused but that doesn't mean that they're the best they're going to be the best but improvement don is he just talking about the numbers from one year to the next is that what he's saying i i, I believe so uh let's get to our call line thank you for calling hawkeye hangout who's on the line hey Corey, duns kyle from cedar rapids hey kyle how are you i'm good how about you doing good can don hear me Yes, I hear you, Kyle. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing as well as I can be expected at my advanced age. That's good to hear. Well, I wasn't planning on calling, but I just figured calling talk. And um, when just getting closer to fall camp, when does fall camp even start? I think it's Wednesday, isn't it? I think so. I I, I know that. Uh, Purely because uh, I know that's when Iowa State's fall camp starts, and I'm pretty sure they're all lined up. Oh, all right. I was just wondering, before I want to get to football, I'm going to ask you a non-football-related question. It's Actually, today I went to see Oppenheimer and Feeders. Have you seen Oppenheimer yet? I have not. I have not, but I'd like to, I think. Tell me if I should see it. Well, if you can manage to sit through the – for the whole movie in three hours, which I did without going to the bathroom. Yeah, I think I recommend it. I also saw Barbie, and I figure I, I'm not going to spoil the movie, but I've, they're good movies, but if I had to pick one, probably going to have to go with Barbie. Have well, you that, seen, that suggests I'm not going to see either one then. Don, have you seen Barbie? No. Will you see Barbie? Uh, no. Should we give away tickets to see Barbie? Um, not on my account. Okay, but Kyle, you, or, Kyle, you said it is a good movie, though, so it's good to know. Oppenheimer. Oh, what, Barbie. Yeah, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about Barbie. No, Barbie was. 
Yeah, Barbie was really good. I was really impressed by it. Actually, Monday, I actually wrote like a fan letter to Margot Robbie, Greta Gerwig, the director of the movie, and one of the supporting cast, America Ferrara. I don't know, I'm really not a pronouncer of last name, telling them I was actually really impressed with it. And hopefully, I get a response back from each of them and hopefully an autograph to come with it. There you go. All right, let's get to uh, football. Okay. Uh, there's this one question I've been meaning to ask both of you. I'll start with Don. Who's the one player you'll be paying attention to during camp? Good question. Only, only one? If I could only pay attention to one? I yeah. believe that would be yeah. Kate McNamara because he's got so much to do with our success on offense. I'll tell you who it is for me, Don. Okay. It, it's Caleb Brown. That's a good choice. You know, in my notes, I had this down, Corey. I'm talking about personnel. I'll just read to you what I said. Either Caleb Brown or Seth Anderson needs to be an impact player at receiver. You guys need to be an impact player. And that simply means we need help wide receiver. And not to pick on the guys that are already here, but we need one more new guy at that position to give us a boost. Absolutely. Need, I need that I need that star player receiver. For my one player I'm paying attention to in camp, it's not on the offensive side, it's in the defense, and that is Jamar Jamari Harris. I'm going with Jamari because when I saw him like two years two seasons ago, he played well, had four interceptions, but last year they never saw him at all with this suspension and the injury and I was kinda of speculating he was gonna transfer, but died of the stick around trying to earn that role back. And it'll be pretty interesting for me to watch because if he's going to be still the same player I saw two years ago, or is he going to be rusty? But I'm hoping he's still got it and he can provide help again on that D de- on that defense again. Do you agree with that? Let me make one comment, Corey, if I can about that. I do think it's critical. You've heard me say it before, Corey, having one great corner is not enough. You have to have two guys because obviously if you have one great corner, they'll simply work on the other corner. And the same thing you could say to wide receivers. As a bare minimum, you got to have a second receiver. There can't be just one because one's going to get doubled all day long. And and if the other guys can't perform, then obviously you're not going to be able to make much headway by going to that best receiver that's doubled every snap of the game. And we don't know that Jamari Harris is going to be great. Um, I, that's been my one big thing with the defensive backfield. I, I'm high on Cooper DeGene. I'm high on Xavier Wampa, although we haven't seen a ton of Xavier Wampa either. But I think he's ready, and we've seen Quinn Schulte show out. Jamari Harris hasn't played in, a, in over a year. I haven't played in almost two years. So, I, I mean, he might be good. He might not be. I mean, we just have to wait and see. Um, and I would not be surprised if TJ Hall gets some time. I wouldn't be shocked to see Jameson Heinz get some time. Deshaun Lee's on the depth chart as well. We'll see if Brendan Diaz-Fernandez or A.J. Lawson ever play. But I think that's that's a position to watch and a battle to watch because I, I, I would doubt that Phil Parker would declare Jamar Harris as the absolute starter as of right now. I think there's there's still a battle going on there. Yeah, I agree. I, I get what Don was saying, Mike Hemmings. Two great corners, but I I just felt like that was my guy. I needed to keep an eye on Jamari just because I really thought about it for a while, and so I really need to pay attention to him. 
see if we can be good again. Absolutely. Kyle, uh, uh, I don't have my... Sorry, go ahead. Nope, I'll just say anything else. No, I think that's all I got. I don't have much to say except for that. Well, thank you for calling in, Kyle, and we'll talk to you next time. All right, bye. Thank you, sir. Well, Don, we're not getting calls for our black. I don't understand this. Hundred and this, by the way, these tickets are one hundred and fifty-six dollar value. So, uh, tell you what, uh, we're gonna have to give them away on Twitter. So, uh, we've I've done this before. I gave away tickets. What do we say? Gave away tickets to see the good guys car show down at the Iowa State Fair here. I think last month. Apparently, our one hundred and twenty some listeners are interested in going to this concert, just like the listeners weren't interested in the good guys. I. Don't understand that, so we'll give them away to people who follow us on Twitter. So that is okay. Delamansky, appreciate the super chat. I'm guessing doing business with the sponsors could be the lifeblood of your show. Uh, certainly appreciate that, Lomansky, and your uh, your donations, your generosity is is much appreciated as well. So thank you for that super chat, Lomansky. Um, before we get to some comments from the chat, uh, questions that I figure we should uh, we should hit, I do want to address the. Uh, kind of the question that Kyle just brought up. He asked about specific players to watch for this fall camp. Don, is there a, a specific, excuse me, a specific position battle that you're watching for this fall that uh, you think is noteworthy enough to to say you're you're following a battle? And for me, it's without question, it's going to be the wide receiver battle. But is there a specific position you're looking at? Well, I'm looking at the battle to see who the number two quarterback is going to be. That's important. But I guess you'd have to say more important, we have a battle at left guard, as I understand it. Uh, you know, it looked like it might be Kobe, and now maybe not. So I'm just glad to know that we have competition, uh, spirited competition at, at certain positions. And because uh, obviously it's a long season, and before the year plays out, you typically need both of them. So I'm glad to know we got competition at more than just a few positions. And, Don, I wouldn't limit it to just left guard. I'd almost say every position on the offensive line except left tackle and center. To, to me, I perceive all of those positions as of right now being up for grabs. And in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll read you um, the depth charts as they currently stand according to the preseason depth chart. So, of course, Richmond, he's your left tackle. Barring something injury-related, he's there. Jack Dotsler backing him up. But you mentioned Nick DeYoung, Connor Colby battling it out at left guard. Logan Jones, I think, is pretty much set at center with Tyler Ellsbury also listed there. But I think Tyler, he could end up you know, competing at one of the guard spots as well. And then you got Bo Stevens and Rusty Feth. That's going to be a battle to follow at right guard, Don, because Rusty very experienced in Miami, Ohio. Um, Bo was good at times last year. He's actually... Would you have guessed, Don, that uh, he and Jennings Dunker are the two heaviest linemen listed on the depth chart? Uh, Bo Stevens listed at 6'6", 319, Dunker at 6'5", 320. And then at right tackle, you've got Jennings Dunker being backed up by Dejon Parker. I think that's as equally as intriguing of a battle. Dejon transferring over from Saginaw Valley, and uh, you know he missed the spring due to injury. But if he's healthy, uh, I could see him emerging at right tackle. Yeah, that's encouraging. What appears to be three positions in the O line that are up for grabs, and and um, somebody that played last year is now in competition with somebody that's new to the team in so many cases. So that's a good sign. And I thought there were times, like I said, I brought up Tyler Ellsbury. I thought there were times last year where Ellsbury was at guard where he looked really good. So 
you know, he's listed as your backup center right now. But I, again, um, they've got plenty of bodies. And I, I just, if it doesn't work now, I don't know that, I don't know when it's going to work, Don. Um, right. So this is obviously an integral, uh, that whole offensive line battle will be an interesting one to follow throughout fall. And so many of those O-line bodies you're talking about are, in many cases, fourth and fifth-year players. Right. And Dennis brings up, yeah, Rusty has played center, so he would be an option there if something happened happened to Logan Jones and they were more comfortable with Rusty over a guy like Michael Muslinski or um, even Tyler Ellsbury. A couple questions here in the chat. Brandon wants to know, do you see our offensive line improving back to the levels when we had Tristan Wirfs? Your thoughts? You know, um, Tristan's another example. The beauty of Tristan playing right tackle is, you know, the guy he's assigned to block, he's going to block him all day long. The big question, of course, what about the other four guys? How are they going to hold up? So uh, I don't even honestly recall that our entire offensive line when Tristan played was that good. I, I'm not sure they were. Maybe they were better than what we have, what we've had in recent last two years. Um so I don't. I, th- I definitely see improvement in our offensive line because we have more experienced players. I pointed out one time before, though, Corey, people are always excited by talking about the fact that guys are going to be bigger, stronger, faster than a year ago. <clears throat> the dirty little secret is those guys we're playing against. If they come, if they come back from last year, they're going to be bigger, stronger, faster, also. So the question ultimately is, who gains an edge by making more progress than the opponent? If your guys make more progress than the team you're playing, then obviously you'll win the day, or at least you have a better chance to win the day. So that's why it's always got to be in the head of the players. Unless you're certain that you outworked your opposition today, then you didn't do the job as well as you should have. Because you need to have great confidence when you put your head on the pillow at night that you got more done today than your opponent. That's ultimately what, what an offensive lineman should be thinking. And Don, Steve brings up Hayden Large, the experiment of Hayden Large at fullback. He's six foot five. What is he listed at weight wise? He's listed at 250, Don. Is that six five? Is that the tallest fullback you've ever yes. seen? You've heard an expression, Corey, about football, low man wins. You've heard that, right? Yep. That typically applies to fullbacks. So are you concerned about that? Or is that yes? Because he clearly is not going to have low low pad level. Some of the best fullbacks I ever saw were no taller than six feet. So I'm just curious, what do you think that the from what you saw in the spring, what do you think Kirk, and I don't know, maybe you asked Kirk this question, but what did they see in Hayden Large that you think made that that'd be a good, you know, I'm gonna write that. That's a good question to ask Kirk at Media Day. But what what do you think they saw in Hayden Large that made them think that he could play fullback? Good question. Because he's not the typical frame of a fullback. You know, you don't see too many fullbacks that are that tall. Again, low man wins in most cases. You're talking about uh, a fullback isolating on a linebacker. That's a huge collision. And if that linebacker is underneath your pads, then you're going to be stuck right there in that hole we were hoping to be able to run through. So you so got yeah. So let me ask you this, Don. Why do you typically see offensive linemen that are six two or taller? Why aren't there five foot ten offensive linemen? Well, up to a point, uh, low man wins. If you're a midget out there playing, you're not you're gonna you're gonna be the little man, but you're not gonna move a guy that's got all kinds of mass over you. If you make sense. Go you know, absolutely. Yeah, five ten linemen simply can't pack enough weight and enough strength onto that frame to five ten linemen that are tough and hard nosed, they're the guys that are playing fullback. 
because they only weigh 240. Is it fair to say the Hayden Large experiment could work, and it could also work in the passing game? Yeah, I was going to say, the thing I noticed from the spring game is he appears to have pretty good hands. Yes, he does. So, um, and we, we throw the ball to the fullback some, not a lot, I'll admit, but when you factor in the fact that he's not out all day long, the percentages go up a little bit. So there are passes that are designed to go to the fullback. And Hayden proved to me even in that one day that he could catch a ball out of the backfield. All right, Cole. Nebraska, he says Nebraska's fullback is 6'2", 220. Iowa's 6'5", 250. So uh, <laughs> pretty substantial difference there, I would say. But what do I know? Uh, Hawk Knott says if Cade saves Brian Ferentz's job, will he be back next season? Well, I don't know if you're talking about Brian or, or Cade. I'm assuming he's talking about Cade. Um, if Cade has an exceptional year, Don, I, I think he could try to jump, make the jump to the pros. I think that's probably his ultimate goal, but I don't know if he's good enough for that. Uh, do you have thoughts on Cade's? I guess the one thing I don't know, as far as this clock goes, is this his fourth year in the fall? The fourth year starts? Or is uh, it his fifth year? This is his, he has, I believe if he were to get a medical, he could actually be here three years, but he's definitely got two. Okay. Um, well, frankly, it just depends on how well he plays. He's got to play really well. To, so we're saying that if he comes out next year, then he's coming out early. For a guy like him to come out early, you better know what you're doing. Yep. Because if you're disappointed on draft day, then you've already put your cards on the table, so you don't have a chance to make it better next year. Uh, Brandon says, uh, I haven't heard, but is Caden, or Caden Eric healthy? Of course, Cade had the knee issue, Eric, with his bad back. I, by all accounts, they are both healthy, Brandon. So, I do believe so. The knee and the, and the back hold up throughout fall camp because fall camp is rigorous, Don. I mean, yes, it is. It's amazing. These players uh, are uh, they're living in a hotel room for a month, right? That's how the, this right. that's, for anybody doesn't know that. That's what fall camp is. They, yes, they're still in Iowa City, but they're in a hotel for a month. They don't have very little contact with the outside world. It's a rigorous thing. Now, Jakob wants to know, do you miss fall camp as a coach, Don? Uh, it's a grind for the coaches, too. If you can imagine back in the old days, we had uh, two-a-days back in those days. There are no more two-a-days. But if you can imagine this, we had 20 practices in 11 days. In other words, we had two-a-day, 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 two-a-day. Thank God for Sunday. Sunday shows up, no practice. And then Monday, you're right back to more two-a-days to finish up. So you had 10 double sessions in 11 days. And there was one Sunday in there that gave you a chance to recover a little bit. Uh, that that was grueling, to say the least. That was really difficult. There were more practices before the first game back then than there are now. I think now, I believe it's 29 practices, but only one a day, never two in any single day. So um, that was difficult. Real quick. In that regard, I don't miss two a days because it is a absolute grind. So tell us, uh, Don, is it six days a week or seven days a week? As of it's right seven days, it's seven days a week for the coaches, and for the players too. In so many ways, even if they're not practicing, even if they're not practicing seven days a week, they're meeting. If they're not practicing, I would imagine. Right. Okay. Uh, James wants to know, other than defensive line, running backs, what positions do you feel? We're deepest at tight end was one. Yeah, uh, I feel pretty good about safety, Don, because I, I like I like Xavier Wampen, I like Quinn Schulte, and I do think the coaches have confidence in Sebastian Castro. If they need to pull him back, 
who plays cash. Would they move DeGene down? Then that puts into question your, your depth at corner. I'm not worried about safety. Um, other than that, I'm not real confident in a ton of depth anywhere else. But they have a lot of personnel on the offensive line. We'll just see if they can pan out. I agree. Uh, Kenton wants to know, uh, he says, I'm pumped for the season, Coach. Is it okay to be excited or am I letting my, setting myself up for disappointment? <laughs> no, I don't think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Let me touch on the schedule for a minute here, Corey. <clears throat> I don't think we'll ever have a much more favorable schedule than what we have this year. Only one opponent finished last season in the top 25. That's Penn State. They finished number nine. <clears throat> Only five of our opponents had winning seasons last year. And three of those teams have to play in Kinnick. That would be Purdue, Minnesota, and Illinois. Uh, if you want to talk about a key game, it's really not Penn State. I would classify, if you had to label one game as the key game, it would be at Wisconsin. Uh, because Wisconsin has a schedule similar to ours. Uh, they do have to play Ohio State, but they get them in Camp Randall. We have to go to Penn State, so neither one of us uh, have a great percentage on that game, probably. Most betters are going to pick Ohio State to win in Madison and pick Penn State to beat us in Happy Valley. So um, in that regard, that head-to-head -head game, when we go to Camp Randall, is critical because think of it this way. If we both lose to Penn State and Ohio State, then obviously what matters the most, of course, is how well you fare in the West. And when you when you lose to another team in the West, obviously it's not going to be enough for you to tie them. This is a three-way tie, and you all it is a possibility. But in general, when you lose to someone, it means you need to beat them in the final standings. You can't be tied with them because if it comes down to head-to-head, -to -head, they win. So that's why the game is so important against Madison. And, Don, since you brought up the schedule, we can go ahead and uh, kind of look at this. And we talk about how favorable it is. You talk about Utah State in week one, an Iowa State team that's coming off a of four and eight year. Western Michigan, you know, a max school Iowa should handle in Kinnick. Um, and then, of course, at Penn State on CBS. Michigan State was down last year. We'll see if Mel – I know you like Mel Tucker, but, boy, bad year for them last year. Purdue's got a new coaching staff. They're at Wisconsin. They've got a new coaching staff. They get Minnesota, a team they've dominated. Iowa's dominated the, the Florida-Rosedale series of late. They get them in Kinnick. You've got Northwestern and Wrigley Field. There are going to be more Iowa fans there than Northwestern fans, uh, home of the Cubs. And keep in mind, Pat Fitzgerald's gone. We haven't talked about that yet here, Don. Uh, Rutgers at home, Illinois at home, Nebraska on the road. That's about as favorable as you could possibly draw it up. Now, that being said, Wisconsin also has a very favorable schedule. They get uh, Wisconsin, um, or excuse me, Wisconsin gets Ohio State at home, and I believe they have Rutgers and Indiana, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. That That's a pretty favorable uh, three crossover. crossover game. So, anyways, uh, the, the schedule shapes up for Iowa to have a nine. To, if Iowa has anything less than a nine-win year, in my opinion, that's a major disappointment. If they go eight and four with that scheduled on, I'm disappointed. Given the fact that they went out and got Cade McNamara and did these different things, I'm disappointed with eight and four or less. Absolutely. Uh, Brandon says, do you see similar things happening to Wisconsin with the new coach and system like what Michigan did years ago with Rich Rod bringing in the spread that did not work? No, I don't. 
And I'll tell you why. Um, first off, uh, I do have a lot of respect for Luke Fickle. I think he's an outstanding coach. And the, li the listener may not be aware, the offensive coordinator is a guy named Phil Longo. Phil Longo was the OC uh, for Mac Brown at North Carolina and put up some outstanding numbers. They averaged almost 500 yards a game in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, and they still ran the ball well, too. So I think what you're going to get, I think what Wisconsin fans can look forward to is greater balance than what they've had in the past. In the past, they were run heavy. There's no doubt you're going to see this this year out of Wisconsin this year. But I say that's a good thing. And you heard me say, Corey, we used to sell this to our recruits on offense. We had the kind of offense that could run for 300 one weekend and throw for 300 the very next. I'm afraid that Wisconsin might turn into that kind of team because their coaches do know about pass offense uh, and they've got a transfer at quarterback. And the name might not mean much to you, but Mordecai is his name. What's his first name, Corey? Tanner. Tanner Mordecai, what, what concerns me a little bit as an Iowa fan, uh, he's a transfer that came from SMU. But you need to realize that Luke Fickle, at Cincinnati played SMU, and he had a good he had a good look at Tanner Mordecai, and if he wants him to play quarterback for him, that suggests to me that he's going to be a good one. Uh, he was highly recruited years ago, and uh, he certainly has a chance to be a good quarterback for the Badgers. Different animal playing quarterback in the Big Ten than playing quarterback in the American Conference. I mean, we we recognize that, Don. Right? Yes. But uh, I did see that Fickle commented the strength of his offense, he said, was his offensive line. So if he's going to get great support out of an old line, that gives any quarterback a chance to be better. And he's got a good running back as well. I'll say this about Tanner Mordecai. Go ahead, Don. You don't like Braylon Allen? Oh, I absolutely like the backs. I like the backup even. The backup running back's good also. Ooh. What I'm not sure about is their, their strength at receiver. I don't know much about the receivers. You probably know them better than I do. I know they've had some attrition, and they just had a receiver enter the portal here within the last few weeks. Um, so, yeah, that'd probably be a question mark for them. Um, Mordecai struggled in the one open spring practice. I know that was kind of blown out of proportion. I did hear that. Huge numbers at SMU. A uh, couple, couple of things here in the chat here. Sam says, uh, how much of an influence will Kirk have in the hiring of the next head coach, assuming he steps down next year? That's a big assumption. Will Brian be in the discussion if the contract stipulations are met? I have my doubts. Maybe I have my doubts on that as well. Um, I, I would not think Kirk has a, a great say in, in, in the hire of the next coach. But am I, I wrong? I think that might be especially true because we've got a change at AD. Absolutely. Absolutely. If Gary Barta were still part of this decision, uh, who knows? But uh, that, that's not the case. Brandon says, is Eric all and Kate? Okay, we think we took this this question already. T. Hink says, what do you want to be ranked this year for offense? Where do you think is an ideal rank? If we're talking like ranking across the country, total offense, passing offense, what's the best uh, data point to look at, Don? Well, if you want to be realistic, I guess if I had to go with one stat for the offense, uh, even scoring offense is kind of misleading because – Defensive scores go into those stats, right? All they really care about is how many points did the team put up. And um, I would say uh, if I had to pick one stat for the offense, um, I guess I'd put put scoring offense because obviously you got to make points. Uh, 
And uh, a realistic goal, I think, is to be in the top half at least. To do that, we'd certainly be averaging a lot more than 25. We'd probably be averaging 30, I would think, to be in the top half. I do recall that averaging 25 points last year, as I recall, it puts you maybe 85th or something out of 130. You're still below half, even at, even if you average 25 points. So if we really want to aspire to make a big jump, we'd, I'd like to think we could average at least 30 points a game. That's a lot to ask based on our low numbers of the last two years. Steve says, is Illinois now a tough out? I can answer that question, absolutely. And I think they're going to be a tough out every year that Brett Bielema is there. Um, Rough Rider returns. Will Wisconsin or Nebraska show the most improvement before 24? Again, personnel-wise, I think you got to go with Wisconsin, but I'm high on both Matt Rule and Luke Fickledon. Yeah, let me share with people what they might not realize. Matt Rule at Baylor... Think about that. Well, first off, I knew Matt Rule as a head coach when he was at Temple because I was at UConn and we were playing Temple. And I remember being very impressed with the way he brought that Temple program along. Incidentally, they won two divisional titles and they won one American Athletic Conference title. I think he was only there for three years, as I recall. He was there one time before as a coordinator, but he came back as a head coach. <clears throat> Here's what was amazing about his, his three years at Baylor. In year one, they won one game. In year two, they won seven. In year three, they won 11. 11 and three, and all three losses were quality losses. Uh, two of them were close games, lost to Oklahoma. One was in the Big 12 championship game after barely losing to them in the regular season. And the third loss was, I believe, in the Sugar Bowl, as I recall, against somebody like Georgia, I think. I can't remember who they played. But uh, he's an outstanding coach. Everywhere he's been, he's impressed me with, with the way he does things. He's a good person. Uh, I have no doubt that that he's going to do well at Nebraska. I just hope he doesn't do well at our expense. There's no doubt he's, Nebraska's going to become improved. If they give him half a chance to do it, he'll get it done. Well, Mansky uh, clarifies my statement earlier. So Phil Steele's got Iowa as the most improved offense as far as points per game is concerned across the board. Uh, that's somewhat eye-popping uh, when that was brought to my attention the other day. Thank you for the super chat, Lemansky. And Underway Shift Colors says, is there anybody else curious about how the Bard is out of the picture? How will the Swarm Collective, how will this be able to impact the Hawks in the future? Absolutely. That's a, We're going to have Brad Heinrichs on. We'll try to get him on next month at some point. And uh, we'll talk NIL and we'll talk about the future. Folks, we'll make a special announcement. If you, I think I probably talked about it, frankly. Iowa postgame with Coach Don Patterson is returning in 2023. Don, this has been a pleasure the last two years, and uh, the last two hours have gotten my juices flowing for another year of postgame coverage. So uh, thank you for coming back another year. I know fans are looking forward to it. I've gotten so many emails and and uh, people reaching out about how much they enjoy hearing your insight over the re- over the, even the last month. And, of course, if you're interested in sponsoring, uh, reach out to me. You can reach out to me at from the eye of the storm at outlook.com from the eye of the storm at outlook.com. Don, is there anything I missed regarding fall camp things? I know we didn't really talk a whole lot of analytics. I'll give you the floor here. If you want to share something regarding analytics, I know you've been working on these at nauseum. You can't go into too much detail because some of this stuff is going to be left for the coaches, but uh, anything we missed during our show today? Uh, Sure. I'll be happy to touch on analytics a little bit. Uh, I'll I'll begin by saying this, Corey. I don't think in my eight years of doing analytics, for 10, I mean, a year in which analytics uh, would 
would appear to be more beneficial than what they are for this upcoming season based on last year's analytics. Let me explain a little bit. Um, it's pretty pretty amazing to know this. And the only concern I got is because of the NIL, because of the transfer portal, uh, because of any number of coaching changes, my fear is that the analytics won't hold up as well as they have in recent years. Having said that, if they hold up as well as I think they're going to hold up, it's kind of amazing uh, how much you can learn by really crunching numbers in, in a million different ways, and that's what I do, as you know. Let me just give you an example. Individual parameters, Corey, as you know, I look at 25 different parameters, and I ask the question in all 64 games, who won the parameter, who won the game? And what you want, of course, is a high correlation of winning, and there were 17 parameters that came in at 70% all the way up to 83%. The highest single parameter was at 83%. That's pretty reliable. You win the parameter, you win the game 83% of the time. That's one parameter that will remain nameless right now. Uh, as you know, I, I then take those parameters that are the most reliable, and I figure up all available combinations involving those parameters. This year, typically I go with the top 15. This year I expanded it to the top 17. There are 136 combinations involving those 17 parameters. I've looked at all 136 combinations in all 64 games. One year earlier, last summer, Corey, I found one combination that was 100% win. This year, this summer, I found eight. Eight parameters that were 100% win. If you won these specific two parameters, you won the game. There were eight different combinations that worked at 100%. Now, here's the next step. You look at that and you try to get an evaluation. Okay, that's nice to know, but can we come up with a prediction model that's simple, simple enough that the players can actually remember those parameters that are involved in the prediction model? The typical prediction model, Corey, and it'll maybe typically it's four different parameters. You have to win a majority of the four to be guaranteed to win the game. That prediction model, most years, it check in maybe at 95% reliable. I didn't know if I'd ever find one that's done what one does this year. I, I looked at a five-parameter model, and in those five, if you won a majority of those five parameters last season, looking at all 64 games, your record, if you went off those five parameters, nothing but five, your record would have been 58 wins and zero losses. 58, no. That leaves room for six ties. Now, you know a lot about parameters, Corey, and a simple example would be turnover. Margin. You might end up even on turnovers. Well, if you're even on turnovers and turnover margin happened to be one of those five parameters, and here's a, here's a real bombshell. Yes, it is one of those five parameters. That doesn't shock you because you know a lot about turnover margin. That's the only one I'm divulging. Uh, but the amazing thing is that that um, to just win, and you don't have to win all five, as you know, Corey. You just need to know what they are. Let's face it, the best chance we have to, to win those turnovers is if we know which ones are most important. And I'm confident that the players are going to know what those five parameters are. And the beauty of all that, if you win three of the five, any three of the five, based on an entire season of football last fall, you're guaranteed to win the game. 58 wins and no losses. Think about that. 
that's pretty amazing. Now, I will admit, some teams won all five of them. Well, yeah, those were the blowout games. Those games typically involved Ohio State or Michigan beating up on someone else. Uh, there were a few of those, of course. But there were any number of games where the winning team simply had a plus-one edge on those parameters. They won three. The other team won two. And that was enough to swing it your way. So that's what's exciting to me. Five turnovers, uh, I'm sorry, five parameters can identify the winner in every case. Now, one last thought. Let me let you think about this. After I came up with this prediction model, it's 58-0. The next question, of course, is will it actually hold up this fall? Well, to, to kind of put it to the test, so to speak, I simply took the prediction model I came up with last summer and applied it to games we played last fall because I was curious how well did that work. The prediction based on the previous season is that that prediction model would produce 56 wins and three losses. Last fall, when I looked at that model and ran it through all 64 games, the final record was 56 wins and four losses. It was off by one game. So prediction models do work. That's my point. And um, this and they, one, this, they hold true, typically. They do hold, they do hold true. I, I do recognize, I've already acknowledged it, maybe because of the transfer portal and NIL and so many coaching changes, maybe it won't hold true. But we're going to find out, and you can bet as soon as as soon as soon it's not holding true, the Iowa football staff will know about it because I'll give them the alert as soon as it happens. And that's the knowledge than the opponent. And we're going to be sure that our players have more knowledge than the opponent does. Well, Don, I can speak for Hawkeye Nation and extending my appreciation. Thank you for the last couple of hours, and thank you in advance for another uh, very fun season. It's going to be fun to to get back into Kinnick and to be able to get back on this show with you and to be able to talk to fans, and uh, thank you for helping us break down fall camp. we got about a month to go. We'll have media day, tons of coverage here on the channel, and uh, we'll talk to you on September 2nd. We all have a lot to look forward to. I think it might be – more interesting than most seasons, that's for sure. A reminder, folks, support our sponsors. Uh, Lemansky brought that up earlier. Um, they're in the description. And you can also sign up for a free trial of Aura. Protect your information. Visit www.aura.com slash Hawkeyes. You can find that link in the chat and in the description below. When you sign up for free trial, you're supporting our show here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Don, stay cool. Uh, get shaven here in the next month, and we'll talk to you in September. Next time you see me, Corey, I promise I'll be clean-shaven. <laughs> <laughs>